My mic sounds nice. Check one. I said my microphone sounds nice when it is on. Check two. Welcome all you streamers back to another episode of Beyond the Rim. Hashtag BTR. And I am your host, the Dutchster, Nestor Dudley. And this podcast is on location for the second time for this series, which is black superheroes or African-American superheroes. And I am once again been invited into the home of Alan Vickers, who is the manager of New England Comics in Malden, Massachusetts. Malden is 5.5 miles north of the city of Boston. Alan, say hello to the streamers out there. Hello, streamers. Thank you for having me, Master. Appreciate it. Thank you again for allowing me to come into your home. And this is the second in the series of Black Superheroes in the Comic Books, as I said at the tap. And my goal, Alan, is to do these podcasts more than once every other year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to our biannual event. <laughs> our last podcast was Icon from the Milestone Comics, and that's available at btrmike.com or wherever you stream your podcast. That's that's Dudcast number nine. But today we are going to talk about Isaiah Bradley, a.k.a. known as the Black Captain America. But before we get into his story and in the book Truth, Red, White, and Black, so before we get into that, we're going to talk about the the writers and the artists of this. And Al, I'm going to let you take that. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, well, the book was written by a, a writer named Robert Morales, who unfortunately has passed away uh, back 2013, I believe. Um, very accomplished writer. Uh, worked on several books, including Captain America. He had been an editor uh, at Heavy Metal, Reflex Magazine, uh, Vibe, um, a serious uh, background in music, and uh, it was drawn by Kyle Baker, who had been in the business since, I believe, the mid-80s, possibly the early 80s, another African-American creator uh, known for his humorous books, uh, Cowboy Wally Show, Why I Hate Saturn, various projects for Walt Disney, uh, and then along came this very serious project, uh, that he put his all into, and it, it really shows. It's some fabulous art. Um, the two of them uh, supposedly met while both were working at Reflex Magazine. Uh, they struck up a, a good friendship, and later, when Morales was pitched the idea from Marvel, we'd like you to do something with the idea, an inspiration of the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, what could you do for us? Initially, he found the idea odd. He didn't think there was a good fit for it. Uh, but eventually, he worked out some details, thought about some various things, and, and realized how he could apply it to a very serious subject. Um, Kyle Baker was brought into the mix, and the two of them sort of bounced ideas off of each other, both being African-American creators. They were, uh, unfortunately too aware of the racism that ran rampant in the military and in the United States, you know, during and post-World War II. They pitched the idea to Marvel. They kind of 
soft pedaled it a little bit, afraid that it wouldn't be as well received if it was too serious a subject matter. And, and instead, Marvel, to their everlasting credit, said, no, no, throw some, some hard, fast balls at us, at our public. We don't want to just another Captain America story. We want something new here, something for you know the 21st century. Give us what you got. So they turned up the volume, and word got out that this book was being worked on. And the public reaction was initially kind of opposed. Too many people were, oh, they're going to ruin Captain America. They're going to do things to Captain America that aren't right. But Morales and Baker are, are fans, besides being creators. They liked the character. They liked comic books as a medium, which is terrific medium. So they stuck to their guns. Marvel stuck to their guns. They worked on the project for the better part of a year. It came out in 2004, I believe was its publication date. And the naysayers that were online uh, changed their tones immediately. The book was a huge hit, wonderful success. And even people that had denounced it, let's say, as, oh, they're gonna, this is going to be a, some sort of a show, were suddenly apologetic. And that's unlike your, your comic book reader is almost the first one to pipe up with, this is wrong, but almost never to change their mind and then apologize and say, I was wrong. Uh, the book changed, you know, the way people looked at the African-American experience in the military. Uh, suddenly it became, you know, with, with the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, only coming to light in the early 70s through a whistleblower and not really being properly investigated until well into the, the 90s. And a lot of people out there were ignorant of that story, of that situation. And suddenly that opened up education, if you will. It was suddenly there was something to be taught that was being ignored in schools. They were getting out of a comic book. And it did wonderful things for the medium of the comic book. It, it, it showed that there are comic books for kids, you know, there's the Batman cartoon. And then there are comic books for adults, just like there are movies and there are books and, and radio and music. This was reaching a wider audience. And I, I think Morales and Baker, um, it, it's a feather in their caps. It, it's... It, their names, they're, they're, they're talented men, but that, this is the project that's always going to be associated. Um, and if you were to look them up on Wikipedia, it would probably say, born in and wrote this, born in and drew this. Um, it's, a, it's a monumental point in comic book history and American history. And for the streamers who are not familiar with the Tuskegee syphilis study, we're just going to synopsize that the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. That was the complete name of that study. It was shortened to the Tuskegee syphilis study. And the purpose of, the purpose of this study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis. Uh, although the African-American men who participated in this study were told they were receiving free health care from the federal government, they were not. As an incentive for participation in the study, these men were promised free medical care, but were deceived by the public health service 
who never informed subject of their diagnosis, the diagnosed placebos, ineffective methods, and diagnosed procedures as a treatment. The men were initially told that the study was only going to last six months, but it was extended to 40 years. You heard me right, 40 years. After funding for the treatment was lost, the study was continued without informing the men that they were never treated. None of the affected men was treated with penicillin, despite the fact that in, by 1947, the antibiotic was widely available and it had become a standard treatment for syphilis. The study continued under numerous public health service supervisors until 1972, which is Allen's point, when, the, when it was leaked to the press that, that, that the termination in November 16th of that year, again, 1972, the study caused the death of 128 participants either directly from syphilis or from related complications. The 40-year-old Tuskegee study was a major violation of ethical standards. So for the streamers out there that did not know or were not familiar with the Tuskegee, with the Tuskegee syphilis study, just wanted to give a little, very little background history about that, Alan. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a low point in our history. Um, terrible, terrible behavior. Um, you know, our, our government is there to help us, to take care of us. And they abused their authority and their power in that situation. And it's to no real end. Um, nothing came out of it. As you said, by 47, they knew that penicillin was a, this remarkable wonder drug. They weren't given it. They knew that this, you know, initially, if I remember correctly, the study was started against African-Americans because it was believed that they were more likely to catch syphilis mm -hmm. and that they had a harder time fighting off the effects of it. So oh, we'll, we'll experiment on them. Well, how does that, you know, oh, but a control group of the same type of person. That doesn't work. And these people had families. They had wives that caught it. They had children that were born congenitally with syphilis for no other reason than a group of really not good men uh, believed these were expendable people. Uh, terrible, terrible situation. It's something that weighed on Robert Morales when he, you know, he was conscious, very aware of it and very conscious of it when he wrote Truth. Uh, it is the, the linchpin that the story ru runs on. Um, yeah, terrible. Very much terrible, very much terrible. So now getting into the story of Isaiah Bradley, the black Captain America. And as you said before, this was not to this was not to rewrite Marvel history. There was Captain America. We all know the story of Steve Rogers. He became Captain America. And we all know that story. We all salute the good, the good, the good <laughs> captain to this day. But this story actually focuses around three characters. It focuses around Isaiah Bradley. Maurice Canfield and Sergeant Lucas Evans. And this is a three black males that were in different phases of their life and in society. We had Isaiah Bradley, who was born and raised in New York City, just basically just yeah. basically a newlywed by the time yeah. he enlisted. A young, recently married man. Um, in fact, uh, if I recall correctly, I think it's in the second issue of the, the series. Uh, he's informed by his wife that she's given birth to their daughter. You know, he's not even home for the birth of his first child. Um, and then you have... 
you have Sergeant Lucas, Lucas Evans. Evans, a.k.a. Sarge. Yep, a career man. Um, you, I believe, fought in World War One. Yes, or, you know, yes. and then stayed in the service and has been through everything that can be heaped on a black man in the military. Um, raised and lowered in rank like a, a yo-yo, mm-hmm. and gotten used to it. He's he's a hard man. He's, but he's a career man. Yeah. In the end, he's he doesn't. He likes the military. It's what he does. It, it's, it's the structure in his life. He gets it. He's just he's just been kind of you know hardened by the the time, and then Maurice, Maurice Canfield, Canfield, you know, is a child of privilege, um, raised uh, in an upper you know middle class at the minimum. Um, but when we first encounter him, uh, he's being put in the military by a judge. Um, he's standing before you know a judge in a courtroom uh, because he spoke out about the treatment of African Americans and civil rights. And how dare you do that? You've got a choice: go to prison or go into the military. He chooses the military. So we have three characters of different ages, different economic backgrounds, social structures, and if I remember correctly, Evans is from Chicago. I, I believe Evans is from Chicago. Be wrong there, but urban. I, I think it's from Chicago. Maurice Canfield, definitely Philadelphia. Philadelphia, and Bradley from New York. So we've got cities, but we have very radically different cities. Um, we have different walks of life, and when the experiment begins in the book, when they become made a part of it, I think they started with something like three hundred men. Three hundred men, and whittled it away down to those three. And you get the impression that some of it was, you know, legitimately like, oh, that didn't work. This didn't work. And some of it was like, well, let's see what happens if we do this while we're here. What? These are human lives. These are human lives, but they were not treated as humans. Not at all. They were certainly treated as subhumans. And there was segregation in the United States and there was segregation in the United States Army. Mm -hmm. So these are black men that have volunteered to protect their country. Mm-hmm. Want to protect their country, yeah. but yet they were second-class citizens in the war. Oh. And before we continue on that point, I just want to add to to Maurice Canfield. Now, Alan, in life, there isn't a lot of opportunity that you get a chance for a do-over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But fortunately, I have a chance for a do-over, and I'm just going to do this over right now. Our last podcast in the in this series of of black superheroes it was my stone icon and we talked about the character um freeman the fourth august augustus freeman the fourth augustus freeman the fourth augustus Fre- you know freeman the fourth and that he was a lawyer he just kept on he just kept on coming back as his own son because the terminus being had a long life and he was found in the slavery days of the south night excuse me 1839 and then we had talked about, we really didn't even talk about, we had mentioned Reconstruction. Yeah. I've, and I glossed over Reconstruction. <laughs> and the streamers let me hear about it. Nesta, we didn't know about Reconstruction. Why didn't you go into Reconstruction? So, Alan, I have an opportunity for Please. a do-over. Yeah, let loose. I am going to theorize that Maurice's Canfield, the reason why he was of privilege, his father was a doctor and stuff like that. And again, we're talking the story takes place in 1940. Well, Reconstruction was a period in the was a 12 year period in our history from 1865 to 1877, where 
It marks significant history, uh, uh, history changing in um, civil rights. Reconstruction ended the remnants of the Confederate succession and abolished slavery, making newly freed slave citizens with civil rights, ostensibly guaranteeing them um, by the constitutional amendments. So for so for 12 years, it was actually good to be black in America because America recognized the evils of slavery and it was like made things equal opportunity for blacks as well. It was a 12 year period where blacks were given land opportunities for higher education, Mm -hmm. good paying jobs at the time. So it was really, really America living up to the promises of all men are created equal. So I'm going to theorize that during that period of time, Maurice's Canfield's maybe grandfather or father took advantage of that period of time and was able to get the education, yeah. go to good schools, yes. and become a doctor. Yep. So that's my theorized. It stands to reason. Right. I mean, it's an excellent point. And it also, it, it's a great way of explaining Maurice himself grew up with these privileges. So, and he's, he's not a bad person because of it when we're introduced to him, but there's a distance between him and Isaiah. You know, Isaiah grows up on the streets of New York. Um, for him, a, a day out is, you know, going to the World's Fair. Um, and may, hey, I think we have enough money to have lunch today, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, he was a struggling young man, you know, newly married. Whereas, you know, Canfield, you know, it's just, you know, you wake up and you have things. Yes. Um, and it would make sense. You know, he would have to be of the generation removed. You know, the, the father may have struggled. As you say, maybe it was a grandfather. Um, but the fact that Maurice was able to become a doctor, or rather his father was able to become a doctor, you almost want to say, yeah, there's got to be another generation probably removed that had to struggle, that had to go all through this. And the father may have grown up seeing that and said, my son is not going to struggle. Right. I'm going to do what I can for my son. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here maybe, but in the story, when the uh, experimented on individuals are listed as dead, killed in action, um, Maurice's father can't deal with that grief um, to a degree where he, he both murders his wife and kills himself. Uh, which says to you he he put a lot into his son. His, right. his identity was tied up in the continued life and success of his son. So that says to me he wasn't privileged himself all the time. It's, you know he he did all these things so that his son wouldn't have to. You know I'm, I'm going to make a world, however small and insulated it might be. Mm-hmm so that my son doesn't go through what I went through at some point. It's it's a really, it's such a dark moment, a very truly sad moment in the story. Um, and later when Maurice finds out about it, you know, this Kyle Baker did an exceptional you know, job of portraying this, this trauma on Maurice's face. Uh, rough moment in the book. He did, he did. As you mentioned earlier, Alan, it was, experimented on 300 African-American males. But we didn't actually really talk about what the experiment was. The experiment was trying to recreate 
the super soldier serum. Create. Create? Create for the first time. Um, this predates what Dr. Reinstein, great name, um, <laughs> would eventually perfect with Steve Rogers. The, the experiment we know from the comics and, of course, the film of a few years ago, these are the men that were like, well, we don't know if this is going to work, so we're not going to risk white people. Right. We're going to... White men. We can, we can risk right. black men, mm-hmm. you know? And at that point, the, the scientist was still trying to work out what would work and what wouldn't. Um, there's a horrifying scene in the book where they need blood to run experiments to make the serum from. And uh, the general or major, I forget his rank now, in charge of the project is calling Washington and asking them to send more colored blood. And while he's on there, you know, I need this. This is important for what we're doing. The professor says to him, you know, blood's blood. We can do it with anything. Just get blood. No, I don't believe that for an instant. And one of the uh, assistants, if you will, in the military, no, no, black blood is different. I, we, I, you know, I get that stuff. We don't want to waste good blood. Right. They're going, and men of science having this conversation. Yes. And you just, wow, that's it's really how some people felt once time and probably still do today. Hopefully they're hiding under rocks somewhere and I, I won't run into them. <laughs> but by God, you know, you read these things and it's, it's, it's you know, the, it's not the, the gunfights and the, the battles and the Nazis lobbing bombs. It's when you read about men in authority having these ideas. And I'm truly horrified when I read that book. That's when I just, oh, I shudder. Right. <laughs> it's terrible. Right. It's- I'm using that word too much. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly is terrible. Yet that experiment for the... Uh, super soldiers serum and again it was 300 african-american yeah. males and what they did they went to the platoon i think they went to two platoons that round yeah. up to round up african-american men yeah so they got a total of 300 and what they did alan they slaughtered the rest of them yeah whichever it wasn't when they were they got to the point they needed to be and the experiment was done they were so paranoid which just makes perfect sense they would be paranoid personalities they have everybody executed that they don't need anymore because again Oh, who's going to miss him? Right. And, yeah. then, and then they told all the families, all the families, yeah. that they all died in battle. They yeah. all died, in, you know, they all died honorably in battle and yeah. all that. Yeah. The, there was one person that just wasn't going to accept. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that yeah. just was not going to accept that. Wanted proof, wanted to see the body. It just didn't smell right. Yeah. And that was Mrs. Yeah. Isaiah yeah. Bradley. Faith, Faith is no idiot. <laughs> yes, Faith. Was, was her maiden name Shabazz Faith? That sounds correct. Faith yeah. Shabazz, yeah. Yep. Faith wasn't having it. Yeah. Faith, Faith wanted proof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she insisted on seeing it. And there, there is that wonderful line where she, you know, goes back to the the pentagon and says what care to explain to me exactly what kind of bomb turned my husband into a white man because she had seen the corpse and and when you see the look of horror you're thinking oh it must be horrible whatever is in this closed casket but no it's because suddenly she's hit with this the beginnings of a conspiracy she's she's not a fool she's the she's the smartest character in the book right uh i adore her for that um she, you know, she goes back to the military and says, this isn't my husband. And what are you trying to pull? And then they send another uh, officer, a black officer to speak with her. 
And her immediate reaction upon having this guy come up to her is going, oh, you, what are you going to explain it to me in color? Mm-hmm. You know, and she's like, I'm not a fool. And he, he and to his credit, that character could quite possibly be legitimate. He explains to her that when a group of men are blown up in a battle, the military does what it can to recover what's left. And sometimes they just have to divvy it evenly so that survivors have closure. They're given something they can bury or cremate or what have you. And she, I don't want to use the word, accepts that, but she understands that at an intellectual level, but she's just not buying it. I think her attitude was, that's plausible. Plausible, perfect That's word. plausible, yeah. but I'm not accepting it. Yeah, there's, there's more going on here. Faith uh, never lost faith. Not at all. Not at all. She's a wonderful character. And the book could almost be said to be about her. Uh, you know, as of I think page two, we see her walking with her husband and she's singing him. Mm-hmm. She's saying little comments, little, little asides that oh, he sighs and rolls his eyes. And oh, well, this woman's you know going to be trouble for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And he's looking forward to that being a long <laughs> life, you know, because she's a wonderful character. And then when we... We get to the middle of the series and we're kind of time jumping. We're getting Captain America in the modern day who has somehow gotten wind of these experiments and Isaiah and wants to know what happened and what's going on. He goes to the military and, and they snow him. They just, you right. know, oh, yeah, and he knows it. So what does he do? He goes and finds faith and, you know, may I talk to you? And she's refreshingly honest. She doesn't pull a punch when she talks to him. Um, great, great scenes. And then we, we go back and forth. We have flashbacks to Isaiah and the, you know Maurice and, and Evans before you know they are sort of removed from the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the adventures that I, Isaiah gets into, but they're all clarified uh, by faith. She she catches the reader up to date. This is what happened at that point. This is where we're going. And says a few things to Steve Rogers that he's got to think about. You know, she, for instance, she mentions that in the experiments, uh, the early days of them, they caused her husband to be sterile. Yeah. Um, you know, they had had their daughter before he joined the military and they weren't going to have any more children. And she says, you know, the early days of that experiment caused sterility. And you just get a look on Captain America's face for a second like, I didn't know that. Right. And uh, do I have to think about that? Lots of stuff. And it's her. She is, as the reader, you know, she's our source of information. She leads us through the rest of the story. Um, she's she's a delight. I, I wish we could see more of her in mm-hmm. comics. But at the same time, I'm glad they've sort of put her away because I wouldn't want to see her cheapened, you know, too many sequels, you know, right, right, right. You know, this isn't the book about faith. This is the book that faith makes me love. You know? right, right. So, yeah, maybe someday, but I kind of hope not. <laughs> Isaiah Bradley would eventually become the lone survivor of that experiment along with Canfield and Evans. That was the three, but then there was an argument or a fight between the three of them because Bradley was reading a comic book yeah. about the adventures of Captain America. Yeah. 
And he started to think. He was like, what's going on here? And and Sarge wasn't having it because Sarge was that military man. Yeah. And Maurice Canfield, who basically lost it when he found out about his parents. Yeah. So a fight ensued. Two of them did not survive. Isaiah survived. And he was the lone one. So he went on a lone suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah. Into Berlin. Was it directly into Berlin? It was, it I was think it was directly. Enemy lines, let's right. say. Um, he, he was paratrooped in there, you know, dropped. And the Captain America movie did a wonderful showing him leaping out of a plane. You know, we saw Isaiah do it first. Mm-hmm. There's so many images that that are have been popularized in the film that we saw Isaiah do first in this book 10 years, five years before the movie was released. Um, and I think it's wonderful that I, you know, I sit there and I watch the film and I go, oh, yeah, I remember when Isaiah jumped out of the plane. Oh, there's the original shield. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even have Captain America's round shield. He's got the shield-shaped shield. He got the shield shape, you know? and, they, and the shield along with a tattoo on one of his arms, had the double double V. Yeah. V for victory over the axis. Yeah. And also V for victory at home for racial injustice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice touch. Um, and it shows, well, I'm about to attribute this to Morales, but who knows? Maybe it wasn't in his script. Um, quite possibly Kyle Baker may have said, I'm going to do this, drew it in there. And Morales may have said, well, what's that? Oh, well, I read about this thing oh well i'm glad you did you know yeah. who knows which way that went it's a wonderful touch it's the nice thing about the book we get isaiah in captain america's costume you know he steals it he steals the costume you know? to go on this mission yeah. to go on this to go on this suicide mission yeah. not coming okay. back <laughs> you know and and that's what's so great about it is he understands the importance of the costume you know he's he's the living flag he's going to go there and he's going to be uh remembered you know, and he knows that the effect that will have on troops rallying, on kids at home, and you know, and and black children. Mm-hmm. Did you see what the black Captain America did? One of the things Marvel, uh, I think, very smartly did um, the idea that there are comic books in the Marvel universe, right? And there's like there was and still is a Captain America book. Because, you know, that's what he's about. He's in a red, white, and blue outfit. He's propaganda. So what do you get him out there? Captain America was under production as a comic book before we were actually at war. Pearl Harbor hadn't happened yet. The people at Marvel Comics knew this is inevitable. And a lot of them were um, Jewish. Mm -hmm. So they had family still in Europe. Um, Very similar to the Black Vine that is mentioned in truth where black soldiers and black citizens knew things that other people didn't because they had people everywhere. Mm-hmm. There was somebody, you know, I got a guy who works in this building. I got a guy that is married to this person and she told him and he told him a lot of um, American Jews during the thirties and forties knew what was happening in Europe because they had family over there. So when things got really bad, they were putting it into movies, comic books, radio shows. It was out there before, well, while we were as a people, as a government saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to go to war. This will be fine. Don't worry. We'll work it out. A lot of the Jewish creators were going, yes, this this guy's crazy. Have you listened to him? You know, (laughs) we're not going to get over this. 
So I think it's the very first issue of Captain America. He's punching Hitler. You know, he's out and out punching a, a, a you know a, a national leader. Right. Because we knew this. We, we were we we're going to be angry at this guy. And that was day. on the cover, right? On Correct. the cover. On, on the cover. Yeah, yes. On the cover. And you know, after that, I, I want to say I, I think the first issue of Captain America came out. And I'm really reaching into my creaky old memory here, but I think within weeks of Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. I think it, it dropped on the stand and people looked at it and said, well, it's not like we're at war. And then suddenly we were. And I was part of the success of Captain America was people said, as soon as the people were afraid, you know, they heard that radio uh, news broadcast of what had happened at Pearl Harbor. Much like, you know, you and I probably went through with uh, 9-11. Exactly. You know, it's it's the same sort of emotional impact. You don't know what's going on. You're hearing conflicting stories or you're not getting the whole thing. But something horrible has just happened. I mean, America is under attack. It's, right. This stuff, this stuff does not happen in America. Right, right. Foreign, we, you know, foreign powers do not, no. do not attack America. And, and you know, we're, a, we're not part of Europe. We are on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific, depending on what side you come. We are uh, uh, isolated is not the right word, but we got a moat around the castle that divides the planet. Yes. We don't really have to worry about stuff like that. Yeah, my mother in a conversation with her recently talked about being a child growing up in Quincy near the shipyards during World War II. And every time you heard a plane... She was afraid it was somebody come to bomb the shipyards mm. you know, under the bed, that kind of thing. You and I, you know, we never experienced anything like that until 9-11. And I think a lot of people that were terrified by Pearl Harbor went to the newsstand, looked at the papers, and then next to the newspapers, there's this kid's book showing a guy beating the shit out of Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it was like, wow, what is that? And that character took off, you know. You think about all the other characters of the time, you know, the Patriot and the Shield and all those. They come, they go, they come, they go. As somebody remembers, they own them. And when well, we better put a book out if we want to keep the copyright. Captain America just kept going. Right. Because it was it was the first. It was it was perfect. And I find what's interesting about Isaiah Bradley, he's He's registering at those same levels, but they're not going to talk about him. It's, you know, oh, you know, you know, you're not going to get the costume. We don't need you anymore. We figured out how to do you. And now we're going to do it to, you know, the guy that looks like the Aryan ideal over here, mm-hmm. except the only way is 98 pounds, whatever it was. Him, we're going to give the shield and the flag outfit and the whole bit. You go back to your room. Right. And no, he, he didn't join the military to be a guinea pig. He, you know, joined up, fight for his country, you know, his country, and now his wife and his daughter. You know, I may not be coming back from this, but they're going to be safe. And over he goes. And, you know, what was it, 2004, if I'm remembering correctly, when the book came out. So it's almost like um, when Captain America finds out about it, the world finds out about it. And it's such a loss. Right. You know, wow. Can you imagine what it would have been like to find out that a black man had single-handedly tried to go over there and punch Hitler, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. in 19, <laughs> early 41, you yeah. know? What a great story. 
that was kept from the world. Exactly. Um, another, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word terrible again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that suicide mission, Alan, he was, um, his mission was to go in because the Nazis was trying to create their own. Yes super soldier serum to give to their yeah. to their soldiers. So he went in there and just basically just tore down the place and there were hostages there and all this stuff. I mean basically a, a one man gang just 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 ripped through it. I mean yeah. he was just I mean he, you know you want to talk about somebody who was badass. Yeah. He was badass. The only thing that took them down was when they had like an acid I think it was like an acid shower, acid yeah. poisonous. Yeah, he um he wasn't prepared for um chemical Right, you know something that honestly was so bad during World War One that countries forswore ever doing something like that. It wasn't until we had the Nazis during World War Two that they, you know, nations started using things like you know, cyclone gas and horrible things. He was prepared for a traditional fight. That's how he thought. It's how he was trained. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's it's interesting to point out that uh, Sarge. Uh, who became a part of the experiment was initially there to prepare them for any eventuality and said, you, you got to think about it. Stuff's going to happen. You're just, you've got to think about it ahead. And they, there was a time he had them climbing through cow manure to get to, yeah. you know, wherever the other side of a field for their training. And they were like, why would you do that to us? And he's like, because you've got to be prepared for anything. You feel awful now, don't you? Yeah. Imagine if you had to do that and then fight. And that was, you know, Isaiah, you know, was, uh, well, you know, maybe. And then he goes over, sees, and, he, you know, he goes on his suicide mission. He has to, which is never said in the book, but longtime fans know would have been the creation of the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Um, the Red Skull was originally more of a propaganda character, but over time, retcons like truth that were done, you know, uh, elements added to the story was the Red Skull was the first attempt by Nazis to create a Captain America before there was a Captain America. And Isaiah had to stop that. And he goes over there, and he's a top soldier, a terrific soldier, but he's just a little underprepared, not ready for that weird acid shower. Mm -hmm. They get him, and it, it debilitates him. It doesn't just, you know, he's not beaten up by another man. He's choking to death. He's he's feeling sick. He's nauseous. He's physically harmed by it, and it allows a greater physical force of soldiers to overpower him. Right. Um, he he goes doesn't go down without a fight. Right. <laughs> um, it's it's a it's a it's an action flick scene too. And I, I got to give Morales's credit there. That's right out of a script of an excellent action flick. And Baker did a fantastic job of choreographing the fights. This is a guy whose background in comics, he, he grew up loving old cartoons. You know, he wanted to do comic strips and cartoons, and he did those. He did funny books, but here he is illustrating a wonderful battle scene. I mean, when you, 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 your chest swells and you square your shoulders when you watch Isaiah fighting Nazis because yeah. this, is, this is right out of, you know, Indiana Jones. This is terrific. I mean, he's... He's a true hero. He's, he's, you know, the funny thing is, for years everybody would say the blue-eyed, you know, lantern-jawed hero that would play Tarzan or something. And Elijah is Isaiah, rather. He's he's a black man. He is not what Hollywood right. used to push. 
But damn, if he wasn't a better hero than all of them put together, <laughs> you know? It's, it's an amazing, great issue. And, and the fact that it ends with him being taken down, beaten, um, and, and beaten. I should use that word, too. They don't say, oh, you know, well fought, you know, Captain America, and then, you know, chain him and, you know, give him a good meal. They beat him up. Yeah. You know, he's he's not tortured. He's abused. He's horribly abused. You know, the way angry men in war treat the guy that just kicked the hell out of them. Um, it's it's And you end the issue on that note where they're, they've got him, and you're like, oh, my God, I, I got to come back next issue. Right. Um, it's one of the nice things about serialized comics that you don't really get so much anymore because we read them so much as graphic novels collections um catching you at the end of an issue so you've got to come back oh i can't wait a month are you kidding me you know and but we do because <laughs> we gotta know and that's when the book's put out on time yeah no, don't even <laughs> don't get me going on that that's a whole nother podcast next issue he's captured and he's brought in front of el Fuhrer himself yeah. hitler and hitler offers him an opportunity. El Fuhrer. Can you mix El, two languages like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> El Fuhrer. <laughs> Hitler offers him, off, offers him an opportunity to betray his country yeah. and fight on the side of the Axis. Yeah. And Isaiah wasn't having any problem. You know, he, he wasn't having yeah, any, that's having any of issue. that. And if you remember, do you remember what he said? No. He said his wife would kill him oh, if he would. Right. Again. <laughs> we bring her back to faith. Back to faith. <laughs> I mean, she is the middle of this story, you know? Um, and it's funny, you know, I remember when I when I read the scene when Hitler says to him, we can use you, you know, you're, you, you're there, we'll take care of you. Think back to the look on Hitler's face when Jesse Owens accepted that gold medal right. at the Olympics. Right. Hitler didn't mean it. Hitler didn't mean it whatsoever. <laughs> he did not mean it whatsoever. And I'm sure that Isaiah remembers that because Hitler was trying to play on what was going on in the United States. Yes. Saying that you guys are seen as a second class citizen yeah. and all that. You know, you're probably not being treated right in the army. So what, you know, let Germany, you know, embrace, you, yeah. know, you know, embrace Germany, yeah. fight on our side and stuff. And Isaiah is no dummy because yeah. the whole world knows Hitler's plan about the Aryan race and all all this stuff, the blonde yeah. hair and blue eyes. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't buying that. Yeah. And Hitler wasn't even sincere with that anyway because what they were going to do is just dissect him and yeah. try to reverse engineer yep. yeah. that formula so yeah. they can he can finally create his his master race of formulas, of, yeah. uh, of soldiers, rather. Yeah. yeah, no, that's it exactly. Um, one of the things horrible at the time was the United States had in the 30s, 20s, I believe, um, investigated the idea of eugenics, the idea that we could breed a better race of people. And part of that involved hospitals making checklists of, well, no, this, this kid has a learning disability, and oh, this kid was born this way, and this kid was born that way. And as we all know, you know, the whites are the better race, so let's, you know, if we got to get rid of the of course, when the general public became aware of it, it was, no, we're not going to embrace that. We're not going to do that. But Nazi Germany looked at those old records, if you will, and said, what a great idea. So Isaiah would have grown up in a time when people were talking about perfecting the species. He would have, you know, if he was fighting in the 40s, he was born in the 20s. He would have lived through all that stuff. And he's not a dope you know, right. his, his faith might be the brains, yeah. but he's not a dude. <laughs> um, and, and it's, you know, to his credit that there's there's no moment of 
you know, will I do this? Won't I do this? The, the, you know, his his wonderful statement. Yeah, no, faith will kill me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, dude. <laughs> just yeah. it's it's just not going to happen. So Isaiah was eventually rescued by freedom fighters and stuff and returned yeah. to America. And what happens when he returns to America? We're going to find out <laughs> on the other side of this break, other side of this PSA. So Nesta Dudley, Alan Vickers talking about Isaiah Bradley, a.k.a. the black Captain America. We will be right back after the break. Pardon me, Batman, but we're rolling. One second. 999. 1000. Sorry, had to get my swole on. Camera ready, you know? Okay, so I hear you need my help. Something about a dude named COVID? Actually, we're here to discuss the novel coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. Lame nickname, but... Show me where he is, and I will bat-ter him. Bat pun intended. I'm afraid you can't beat this up. Wrong. It's invisible. You're invisible. Look, it's not a person. It's a virus. Viruses are tiny particles that infect living hosts to reproduce. Gross. There are millions of different viruses with all kinds of shapes and sizes. The name coronavirus refers to its shape, which, when magnified, looks kind of like a crown. Uh, not really. COVID-19 can cause flu-like symptoms and possibly lead to some very serious conditions. Hey, not to be a buzzkill, but this is all kind of scary. Not for me, of course, but for the kids. It's perfectly normal to feel scared or anxious. So if you're feeling this way, speak to a trusted adult, like a mother or father. Yeah, I'm an orphan, so... Any trusted adult will do. Most healthy people, especially children, show very mild symptoms, but it can be much more serious for those with other health issues. So stopping the spread is especially important for them. And remember, while we can't beat it up, if we work together... I work alone. If we work together, we can beat this. I got this. Look. You guys can be superheroes by simply listening to health experts and helping stop the spread of the virus, which is far less difficult than my job fighting crime, but still super important. Remember the things that we can all do to help get us through this time safely. Wash your hands, maintain good social distancing, and watch Lego Batman on repeat. How's that? Oh, exactly what I should have expected. I win again. Nestor Dudley, Alan Vickers, back after that message, after that PSA from Lego Batman. Now, Alan, I know that is a different universe, and you know me, you know I prefer the DC universe. Yes, you are a Batman man. <laughs> Lego Batman. Lego Batman's fun. Lego Batman is, there's there's no wrong Batman, you know. Um, I grew up with Adam West. That was and so my, did I. You know, my first Batman. Yeah. Is it the Batman? Well, hell no. You know, um, I love the Dark Knight stuff of the late '60s, early '70s. Um, the Frank Miller stuff of the '80s. I'm not the biggest fan of the crazy Batman that stays up all night of the '90s. <laughs> but there's some good stuff in there. 
And Lego Batman is just another beautiful facet. Um, and uh, Will Arnett's just a funny guy. So <laughs> I, I'm glad that I'm so glad that that took off for him because uh, he, he does a great job. He does a great job for everybody. I, I love anything where, uh, you know, a dad and a kid can sit there and watch, you know, Bullwinkle of the Simpsons or anything. And dad can laugh. And then the kid can go, why is dad laughing at that? I don't understand what he just said. Oh, you will when you're older. Mm-hmm. Um, and as those Batman Lego things, are, they're like that. They're wonderful. <laughs> so before the break, Alan, Isaiah Bradley was rescued by Freedom Fighters. Yes, he was. Returned back to the United States of America. And how was he greeted? Let the streamers know. Oh, he was told he was going to prison for life. Because and why he, is that? He stole Captain America's costume. So let that sink in, streamers. Suicide mission. World War II, WW2, as Fred G. Sanford would say, the big one. <laughs> Captured. A prisoner of war. Brought back home. Mistreated. Mistreated. Before he's brought back home. And brought back home through every, you know, back alley, every, you know, hidden in a tramp steamer kind of thing. It wasn't like, you know, he was brought back um, in a parade. You know, it was quick climbing this box. We're going to put a bag on you. We're going to hide you and get you back. His rescue was just as rough as his incarceration. Um, And then to be, yeah, greeted with, you stole, you stole some clothing. Come on, this is, you know, this is right out of crime and punishment. Right. This is just wrong. But it's it's a further example of the, you're our dirty little secret, and this is the legalese we're going to use to keep you hidden. Uh, and he's sent off to Leavenworth. They actually make a point of saying he's in Leavenworth for... Life. Life. You have received life, and you, he was there for... You know, 17, of, 17 years. 17. I was going to say, that was a couple of decades. Yeah. 17 years. And, and who got him out? Faith. <laughs> Faith kept on writing President Eisenhower monthly. Yeah. Monthly yeah, kept a on... letter every month. Right. And Isaiah was released on President Kennedy's inauguration. Day. Yeah. It was 17 Eisenhower's the the la, the president's uh, pardons. Yes, you know they made a point of saying it was that inauguration day that he was let loose. Um, good for Ike. I mean, you know, wow that that had to be done. But uh, faith, as I believe, there's a line in the comic: she never lost faith. Never lost faith. Um, she, you know, she kept doing it, and I love when she's telling Captain America about it. And her grandkids are playing in the other room, you know, and her daughter is, you know, checking on dad. Um, it, it's it's such a, a warm, loving household. And everybody's interacting and talking and sharing and having fun. And there's this guy dressed like a flag sitting there having tea, right, <laughs> coffee, right. whatever it was. Uh, it's just a wonderful image. Um, and, and as Faith explains, we finally got, you know, Isaiah back, but the experiments took their toll. Now, there's something here. This is this will be the nerd in me. The whole reason you have me here today. <laughs> um, in the original Captain America appearances, they show him being injected with the formula, but they also show a lot of machinery. And as we would get later in the comic books, usually early 70s stories, uh, and what they followed up with and kept as part of the film 
the super soldier serum is a two-part thing. There's the serum, and then there's being exposed to a, I don't know, a radiation or something called a Vita Ray. And with people having tried to duplicate the professor's work, they could sometimes, you know, recreate the serum, but nobody knew how the Vita Rays worked. And without the Vita Rays, the serum never quite works right, which is why we had some other bad Captain Americas show up in the, in the 50s and the 60s. It was Marvel's way of explaining why, even though the comic continued into the 50s, Steve Rogers was somehow frozen in ice in 45. Right. And didn't come back until, I think it was 65, maybe, Avengers number four. Um, with Isaiah, you had the double issues that, one, the serum was even more experimental. Two, he suffered some truly physical abuse at the hands of the Nazis. And three, the unspoken thing is that at no point do you ever see the Vita Ray introduced into his story. That's clearly something that the professor landed on between Isaiah and Steve Rogers. So Captain America, I love that this is, again, unspoken when he's hearing the backstory of why Isaiah is in bad shape, um, he's got to wonder if this is a potential future for him. Mm -hmm. And I uh, have read uh, that apparently Mor uh, Robert Morales, when writing the story, was inspired, if it's the right word, by what had happened with Muhammad Ali um, as he got older. You know, he had he suffered a lot of brain damage in the ring. I yeah. mean, we, we, you know, I'm so pretty and his record is so amazing. The man took some hits and he walked him off. You know, part of his legend was he never let you see him wince or cry. You know, an amazing athlete. Same with Isaiah. Here's this guy that did all these things, but he took some hits. He took some damage that we'll never know because it's not important to the story. It's more important to the mood of the story. We, we know this happened. But Captain America has to wonder, is it because of what happened to him? I'm at the, or, or am I going to, one day I'm going to slow down um, and find that tremor in my hand. Uh, Faith even says that Isaiah can't even really talk anymore. Right. Um, such a sad moment. But man, he can smile. <laughs> um, when she brings Captain America in to see him, and Captain America presents him. He's recovered what's left of that original costume and says, this is yours. You know, thank you, you know, for your service. You know, Captain America has just said, soldier, you did a damn good job, and we all owe you. And you get that wonderful smile on Isaiah's face. Um, because at the end of the day, Alan, that's what all the soldiers just wanted. They just wanted a thank you. Yeah. Thank you're, you for you're not your far service. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's wind them up and tell them to do something and then when you're done with them go oh are you still here well i can't believe that you know that kind of behavior and you know not only you know isaiah to faith's credit he got her home and his wife said i love you and here's your daughter and years later i got to say these are your grandchildren you survived not only did you do good but you made it you're here and there's that Wonderful, but you find out she's a teacher now. And she talks, she shows up. In fact, when Captain America first meets her, um, she's Muslim and she's wearing a burqa. 
And I think that's so, so fascinating, too, is that we talked earlier about Maurice and Sarge and uh, uh, Isaiah being from you know, different backgrounds, different walks of life and the whole bit. And here we are seeing the Muslim religion being portrayed, but not belabored. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, yeah, you, I, you and I pass uh, Muslims every day in the street. They don't stop to explain, hi, by the way, I'm a Muslim. Right. Oh, well, tell me more, you know, or <laughs> I'm, I'm gay. Oh, tell me more about that. No, they're just people. We yeah, pass exactly. them. We get on with our lives. They get on with theirs. And it's wonderful. She just happens to be in a burqa when Captain America meets her. She doesn't go off about it. She doesn't talk about it. There's no lecture to you and I, you know, mm-hmm. the reader. Oh, look, a different religion, you know, something that is never, well, now in comics, they're very much, you know, more diversified than ever. Back then, again, this book did so much, it portrayed something that a lot of people just didn't see. In comics, you know, it was you couldn't have Jewish people. You know, I, to this day, I insist that Peter Parker is meant to be Jewish, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a, you know, the background is just like, mm, just shy of saying it. Right. And, and just a few years ago, The Thing and the Fantastic Four finally portrayed. Right. You know, Jack Kirby was Jewish. Stan Lee was Jewish. Come on, they, they wrote what they knew, mm-hmm. they drew what they knew. Mm-hmm. And it's it's wonderful to see that, you know, faith just shows up in that burqa without any getting up on a soapbox and having to lecture about, you know, another religion. Captain America just talks to her about her husband. That's what they're there for. And I love she makes a comment about she's talking to him, she's wearing the burqa, and she's, I'm sorry, I usually take this off as soon as I get in the house. And she takes it off, and we still see at 70 or whatever she's she's still beautiful yeah you know she's got that that cloud of silver hair around this the face that is still so just just lovely uh it's a it's a wonderful moment and then she mentions that one of the reasons she wears the burqa is it desexualizes her identity when she's talking to her students the fact that she's a woman doesn't enter into what she's talking to them about Mm -hmm. so when she teaches them it's the subject matter right. and how good she is at it, being a communicator, not a woman. Uh, great moment. Again, you know, Morales and uh, Baker doing something so subtle. Um, you, you know, I didn't read these words in the story that, you know, you know, she communicates. She's a great teacher. But after a panel, I know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful bit. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't use the word terrible. Awesome. I used the word <laughs> wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, see how this book treats you? You know, you, you go into the darkest places, and by the time you're getting to the end, uh, it's lightning. It's, it's, you know, enlightening even. Um, and I love that uh, that final bit when Captain America is, you know, eye to eye, face to face with the man that did it before him. And they're standing in front of that wall of everybody that Isaiah's ever met. And you, you realize this this guy, wow, he's he's this is the life. He knows he's he, firsthand, you know, he's met o- President Obama. Um Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, you know. Richard Pryor. Yeah. Maya Angelou. Spike Lee. Yeah. It was yes, it's just flavor flavor. Yeah. It was just all those wonderful pictures. All, including wonderful the picture. creators of the book. Yes. There's a one little photograph where you go, hey, that's Kyle Baker and Robert Morales. That's yeah. okay. Yes. <laughs> and Stan Lee. And Stan Lee, Lee shows yeah. up no well, matter where at in the yeah. Marvel Universe. Yeah. Stan Lee, God he's rest got his, his soul. Cameos, <laughs> yep. he, he's he certainly has his cameos. You got yeah. that right. Yeah, good stuff. And and it's you know, it's 
for such, as we said at the very beginning, shameful period in American history, you know, about the whole the syphilis study, the fact that recently, you know, the Watchmen television show based on a comic had to explain to half of America about the the Tulsa riots, the massacre, um, you know, the amount of people that came up to me in the store. And that's not real, is it? Of course it's real. You know, there are so many things that have been glossed over, sugar-coated, whatever. And this book brings all that kind right. of darkness, that shame to, yeah. the, to the, the surface. It doesn't leave you there. It doesn't leave you hanging, feeling bad. You get to the end. And you go, wow! Look, look what I look what Isaiah Bradley accomplished. Right, and you know it, it's it's such an uplifted ending. And the thing is, with all the standing in front of the wall, all the famous people that he, famous people that he met, you had mentioned in the first half of this podcast about the the black vine, mm-hmm. about yep. black vine yep. and all that. So Isaiah was not known to the general public, but no. he was known the black vine. Yes. It was he he was an he was an urban myth. He was yeah. a legend. Yeah, there was a black Captain America. Yeah, word got out there, and people came looking for him. It was—it's wonderful to imagine that. You know, as you say, an urban myth. Somebody says, "Did you ever hear about?" Now that's not true. I met the guy. You got to introduce us, and it his his legend grew. Um, I, I like the idea that that's why Steve Rogers didn't hear about him for so long. It took a while, you know. Who knows? Maybe the Falcon, you know, said to him one day, "You ever heard about him?" Uh, right. Yeah. Right. No. Who's this? You well, know? Luke Cage, Power Man, certainly. Maybe. Do. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know the and nice segue there, if I might, Nestor. Um, the whole origin of Luke Cage, Power Man, back in the seventies, was an attempt for someone to recreate the Super Soldier Serum, or in this case, he's going to be working from that Vita Ray end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got another fantastic character. <laughs> Love Luke Cage. <laughs> um, and I'm sure we will do Luke Cage in a future. I'll make a point of it, man. In a future podcast. I will, I will, I will dog you until we do that. <laughs> One of my favorite books as a kid. And to this day, really. Well, the next podcast will not be in the Marvel Universe. It might be in the DC Universe. because the you know, Well, you know me. My, my universe is I prefer the DC. <laughs> I know Marvel. I know there are others out there. So, but yes, we're gonna we're gonna talk about as many of them as we possibly can. Yeah, we got some wonderful characters over at DC. The um, we're seeing a resurgence of the Milestone line. Um, uh, an announcement that we might see some icon and static films, which would be fantastic. I would love to see an icon film. I would just love to see an icon film. They're talking about making Superman black, and I'm like, don't make Superman <laughs> black. You got icon. Yeah, you got icon. You exactly. got icon. Yeah, do icon. Uh, hardware, they're talking about that character being brought up, um, and currently uh, on the shelves we have um, uh, a run that DC Comics did, uh, what they're calling Future State, which is possible futures of the DC universe, including the son of longtime character Lucius Fox, an African American, his son Jace being what they're referred to as the next Batman. It's mm-hmm. the title of the book. And apparently it did well enough um, that he's being introduced into regular continuity. Good. So, yeah. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff for us to talk about. Good, 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 good. (laughs) To wrap up Isaiah Bradley, I do want to say that his legend was was so much and, and so popular amongst the Black Vine that he was also invited 
to the wedding of the Black Panther yeah. and Storm. Yeah. Yeah. That's I forgot about that. That's a nice little touch. Yeah. The, the idea that he's and again, it's so much for the you know, I, I can't say enough good things about Robert Morales and Kyle Baker. Um, these two men, you know, it's a seven issue series, which means it's, it didn't run for a year and it, it was intended to be seven. But we talk about it today and the character was so well received, so well thought out that it immediately became uh, an instant addition to the Marvel Universe. He's, he's at the wedding of the Black Panther. He's mentioned here, there, his uh, grandson. Eli, that we talked about earlier, pre-show. And we're going to talk about Eli now. We're certainly, we're certainly we go. going to mention Eli. Here Eli. we go. <laughs> you know, Eli is the um, the founder of the group called the Young Avengers. Um, they're all like legacy characters descended from or in some backstory way related to the actual Avengers. And Eli was filling the role of the, the Captain America character in the group and calling himself Super Patriot and showing up um, and eventually revealing himself to be um, Bradley's grandson. Um, and he's a great character. And right now, I mean, it's rumor, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. Um, because of some recent events in the WandaVision television show, the things that we know are going to be happening in the Captain Marvel upcoming movie, uh, there's an upcoming Hawkeye television series, all these things that... Um, Marvel and Disney has planned, a lot of people think we're going to be seeing a Young Avengers project, in which case we could be seeing Eli. Um, and if we see Eli, and it's going to be, he's the grandson of the original Black Captain America, people have to know that story. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. we could be seeing that, you know, that could be a live action movie, a television series, and God, that would be a wonderful television show. Um, certainly, with its finite story, that's a fine two-hour film right there. Um, I'd rather see TV. <laughs> <laughs> that would be on longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we uh, we could be getting the Young Avengers, and uh, every, these characters would be getting their due. And I think it's it's a great thing. Um, and and again, like I say, such a short-lived project that made such a, a big contribution to the Marvel Comics books, um, it's permanent. It's not going anywhere. Right. That's the nicest thing about it is, you know, you know, it's in 10 years, it's not going to become what happened to da-da-da. We'll have a great-grandson or, you know, Eli will, who knows, marry whoever, and it'll just be this dynastic story. I can't wait to see it. I can't I wait to see great. that either. Well, Alan, the time has flown. We've gone over the hour, but that's okay. We were talking about the break. It was like not all podcasts can be under an hour, just as long <laughs> as that content is there yep. and it's solid. And I just enjoy doing this podcast because not only did we talk about the character, not only did we talk about the story, we got to give some historical facts yeah. what happened in this country yeah. in terms of the, the Tuskegee syphilis study. And I got to do that redo over. There you <laughs> that go. Do over. Yeah, yeah. You got your <laughs> the, second shot. Nice. Of the, of the reconstruction era. Yeah. No, I, I, if I make a, a comment here, just um, I love the medium of the comic book. I think it is as strong a medium, and I'm going to keep using that word, uh, as film, as television, as the theater, as the novel. Um, 
it can do things, you know, it's a visual medium and it's the written word and it can be written for any age group and it can be informative and it can simply be uh, just electrifyingly, you know, action oriented. Um, one thing, I, two little stories really quick here. Well, it doesn't have to be quick. We've gone over the hour, so that's, you know. Yeah, well, and you know I, me, I love a good story. So. Time. <laughs> I was saying that when I was a kid, I couldn't tell you where I heard the word laser for the first time. You know, it could have been anywhere. But the first time I ever found out what it meant was in a comic book. And it was because a writer chose not to write down to me, to his audience. He, you know, what is it? Light amplification through stimulated emission of radiation. And that made me look and see, what do all those words mean when you put them together? Mm -hmm. And reading a comic, you know, you would you would find out so many things. You find out about history, the sides that people don't want you to know. Or you find out about science, or you find out about you know, anything, really. It, it's a great medium for, because it's written down, and you don't have to say, what did he just say? You go back and you look it up again. Wonderful medium. Second thing I just wanted to mention, I used to work with a guy decades ago, and he was from Saudi Arabia, moved to this country with his mother and brother, very young age, five or six years of age, and his mother gave him comic books, and he read those, and that's what allowed him to keep up in school when he was learning English, because he had a visual image to, what are they talking about? Wow. And... He, you know, he could go back. He could turn a page back, you know, and say, oh, it means this. And because it was fun, you know, it taught him how to read. And I'm going to just sound pompous for a second here. Um, there's a wonderful quote from uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes that reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. And it's very true. It is. And in this day and age where we've got social media and we to our big TVs and we're streaming this and that they you know they keep saying print is dead it's not dead it's, it's out there find it mm -hmm. and comic books are so much fun there's so much there they're humorous they are chilling they are informative and I think that truth red white and black is a perfect example of all of that you know you're laughing one minute you're shocked the next you're excited the next Faith, you fall in love with her. You know, it, it's a it's a wonderful book. Unfortunately, I believe it's out of print right now. So, if anybody listening gets an opportunity, you've read it already, you own it, you come across a copy somewhere, pick it up, pass it on to somebody else, and don't be afraid to write to Marvel Comics and say, "Why isn't this in print?" Shame them right into putting it back out there. Because uh, it's that good. It really deserves to be out there. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. I don't. I think it's a hard thing to find right now. Partly because I don't. You know, nobody's talking about it, and they need to. Um, we're at a we're at a perfect time right now in, in our nation's history. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's not just a nice entertaining piece. It's a nice t historical text piece. Uh, it should be out there. So, call, write, email. Nudge the hell out of them. Make sure this thing's back in print. <laughs> well, Alan, thank you very much. We're going to wrap this up once again. I appreciate you inviting me into your home to, do, to have you to do this to do this podcast. 
And I'm looking forward to our next podcast, which is going to be sooner than two years from now. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Let's go a few months from now. Yeah, we go. Yeah. A few months from now. Yeah. So, so once again, I want to thank Alan Vickers, who is the manager of New England Comics, which is in Malden, Massachusetts on Pleasant Street. Malden is 5.5 miles north of the city of Boston. Beyond the Rim is available on Apple Podcasts. Beyond the Rim is available on Spotify. Beyond the Rim is available on Google Podcasts. Beyond the Rim is available on Stitcher. Beyond the Rim is available on Amazon Music. Beyond the Rim is available on Podbay. Beyond the Rim is available on TuneIn Radio. Beyond the Rim is available on iHeartRadio. Beyond the Rim is available on YouTube or wherever you stream your podcasts. Visit our website at btrmike.com. That's btrmic.com, where you can stream past episodes and discover additional podcast platforms where Beyond the Rim is available. Hashtag follow, hashtag stream, hashtag retweet, Twitter handle at Nesta Dudley. Until next time, streamers, buenas noches. Hooches, cooches. I came in peace. I leave with love. This is for the red, the black, and the green. Living cool, living calm, living clean. I'm out. My mic sounds nice. Check one. I said my microphone sounds nice when it is on. Check two. Welcome all you streamers back to another episode of Beyond the Rim. Hashtag BTR. And I am your host, the Dutchster, Nesta Dudley. And this podcast is on location for the second time for this series, which is black superheroes or african-american superheroes and i am once again been invited into the home of alan vickers who is the manager of new england comics in malden massachusetts malden is 5.5 miles north of the city of boston alan say hello to the streamers out there hello streamers thank you for having me master appreciate it Thank you again for allowing me to come into your home, and this is the second in the series of Black Superheroes in the Comic Books, as I said at the tap, and my goal, Alan, is to do these podcasts more than once every other year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to our biannual event. (laughs) Our last podcast was Icon from the Milestone Comics, and that's available at BTR Mike. Dot com or wherever you stream your podcast. That's Dudca- that's Dudcast number nine. But today we are going to talk about Isaiah Bradley, aka known as the Black Captain America. But before we get into his story and in the book Truth, Red, White, and Black. So before we get into that, we're going to talk about the the writers and the artists of this. And Al, I'm going to let you take that. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, well, the book was written by a, a, a writer named Robert Morales, who unfortunately has passed away uh, back 2013, I believe. Um, very accomplished writer. Uh, worked on several books, including Captain America. He had been an editor uh, at Heavy Metal, Reflex Magazine, uh, Vibe, um, a serious uh, background in music. And uh, it was drawn by Kyle Baker, 
who had been in the business since, I believe, the mid-80s, possibly the early 80s, another African-American creator uh, known for his humorous books, uh, Cowboy Wally Show, Why I Hate Saturn, various projects for Walt Disney. Uh, and then along came this very serious project uh, that he put his all into, and it, it really shows. It's some fabulous art. Um, the two of them uh, supposedly met while both were working at Reflex Magazine. Uh, they struck up a, a good friendship, and later, when Morales was pitched the idea from Marvel, we'd like you to do something with the idea and inspiration of the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. What could you do for us? Initially, he found the idea odd. He didn't think there was a good fit for it. Uh, but eventually, he worked out some details, thought about some various things, and, and realized how he could apply it to a very serious subject. Um, Kyle Baker was brought into the mix, and the two of them sort of bounced ideas off of each other, both being African-American creators. They were, uh, unfortunately, too aware of the racism that ran rampant in the military and in the United States, you know, during and post-World War II. They pitched the idea to Marvel. They kind of soft-pedaled it a little bit, afraid that it wouldn't be as well received if it was too serious a subject matter and, and instead Marvel to their everlasting credit said no no throw some some hard fast balls at us at our public we don't want to just another Captain America story we want something new here something for you know the 21st century give us what you got so they turned up the volume and word got out that this book was being worked on and the public reaction was initially kind of opposed too many people were oh they're going to ruin captain america they're going to do things to captain america that aren't right but morales and baker are, are fans besides being creators they liked the character they liked comic books as a medium which is a terrific medium so they stuck to their guns marvel stuck to their guns they worked on the project for the better part of a year. It came out in 2004, I believe was its publication date. And the naysayers that were online uh, changed their tones immediately. The book was a huge hit, wonderful success. And even people that had denounced it, let's say, as, oh, they're gonna, this is going to be a, some sort of a show, were suddenly apologetic. And that's Unlike your, your comic book reader is almost the first one to pipe up with this is wrong, but almost never to change their mind and then apologize and say, I was wrong. Uh, the book changed, you know, the way people looked at the African-American experience in the military. Uh, suddenly it became, you know, with, with the Tuskegee syphilis experiments only coming to light in the early 70s through a whistleblower and not really being properly investigated until well into the, the 90s. And a lot of people out there were ignorant of that story, of that situation. And suddenly that opened up education, if you will. It was suddenly there was something to be taught that was being ignored in schools. They were getting out of a comic book. 
and it did wonderful things for the medium of the comic book. It, it, it showed that there are comic books for kids, you know, there's the Batman cartoon, and then there are comic books for adults, just like there are movies and there are books and radio and music. This was reaching a wider audience. And I, I think Morales and Baker, um, it, it's a feather in their caps. It, it's it, their names, they're, they're talented men, but that, this is the project that's always going to be associated. Um, and if you were to look them up on Wikipedia, it would probably say, born in and wrote this, born in and drew this. Um, it's, a, it's a monumental point in comic book history and American history. And for the streamers who are not familiar with the Tuskegee syphilis study, we're just going to synopsize that the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. That was the complete name of that study. It was shortened to the Tuskegee syphilis study. And the purpose, the purpose of this study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis uh, although the African-American men who participated in this study were told they were receiving free health care from the federal government, they were not. As an incentive for participation in the study, these men were promised free medical care, but were deceived by the public health service, who never informed subject of their diagnosis, the diagnosed placebos, ineffective methods, and diagnosed procedures as a treatment. The men were initially told that the study was only going to last six months, but it was extended to 40 years. You heard me right. 40 years after funding for the treatment was lost. The study was continued without informing the men that they were never treated. None of the affected men was treated with penicillin, despite the fact that in by 1947, the antibiotic was widely available and it had become a standard treatment for Syphilis. The study continued under numerous public health service supervisors until 1972, which is Allen's point, when the when it was leaked to the press that that, that the termination in November 16th of that year, again 1972, the study caused the death of 128 participants, either directly from syphilis or from related complications. The 40-year-old Tuskegee study was a major violation of ethical standards. So for the streamers out there that did not know or were not familiar with the Tuskegee with the Tuskegee syphilis study, just wanted to give a little, very little background history about that, Alan. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a low point in our history. Um, terrible, terrible behavior. Um, you know, our, our government is there to help us, to take care of us. And they abused their authority and their power in that situation. And to no real end, um, nothing came out of it. As you said, by 47, they knew that penicillin was a, this remarkable wonder drug. They weren't given it. They knew that this, you know, initially, if I remember correctly, the study was started against African-Americans because it was believed that they were more likely to catch syphilis mm -hmm. and that they had a harder time fighting off the effects of it. So oh, we'll, we'll experiment on them. Well, how does that, you know, oh, but a control group of the same type of person. That doesn't work. And these people had families. They had wives that caught it. They had children that were born congenitally with syphilis for no other reason than a group of 
really not good men uh, believed these were expendable people. Uh, terrible, terrible situation. Something that weighed on Robert Morales when he, you know, he was conscious, very aware of it and very conscious of it when he wrote Truth. Uh, it is the, the linchpin that the story runs on. Um, yeah, terrible. Very much terrible, very much terrible. So now getting into the story of Isaiah Bradley, the black Captain America. And as you said before, this was not to this was not to rewrite Marvel history. There was Captain America. We all know the story of Steve Rogers. He became Captain America. And we all know that story. We all salute the good, the good, the good <laughs> captain to this day. But this story actually focuses around three characters. It focuses around Isaiah Bradley. Maurice Canfield and Sergeant Lucas Evans. And this is a three black males that were in different phases of their life and in society. We had Isaiah Bradley, who was born and raised in New York City, just basically just yeah. basically a newlywed by the time yeah. he enlisted. A young, recently married man. Um, in fact, uh, if I recall correctly, I think it's in the second issue of the, the series, uh, he's informed by his wife that she's given birth to their daughter. You know, he's not even home for the birth of his first child. Um, and then you have... You have Sergeant Lucas, Lucas Evans. Evans, a.k.a. Sarge. Yep, a career man. Um, you, I believe fought in World War One. Yes. Or, you know, yes. and then stayed in the service and has been through everything that can be heaped on a black man in the military. Um, raised and lowered in rank like a, a yo-yo mm-hmm. and gotten used to it. He's, he's a hard man, He's, but he's a career man. Yeah. In the end, he's, he doesn't, he likes the military. It's what he does. It, it's, it's the structure in his life. He gets it. He's just, he's just been kind of you know hardened by the, the time. And then Maurice, Maurice Canfield, Canfield, you know, is a child of privilege, um, raised uh in an upper you know middle class at the minimum um but when we first encounter him uh he's being put in the military by a judge um he's standing before you know a judge in a courtroom uh because he spoke out about the treatment of african americans and civil rights and how dare you do that you've got a choice go to prison or go into the military he chooses the military so we have Three characters of different ages, different economic backgrounds, social structures, and if I remember correctly, Evans is from Chicago. I, I believe Evans is from Chicago. Be wrong there, but urban. I, I think it's from Chicago. Maurice Canfield, definitely Philadelphia. Philadelphia, and Bradley from New York. So we've got cities, but we have very radically different cities. Um, we have different walks of life, and. When the experiment begins in the book, when they become made a part of it, I think they started with something like 300 men. 300 men. And whittled it away down to those three. And uh, you get the impression that some of it was, you know, legitimately like, oh, that didn't work. This didn't work. And some of it was like, well, let's see what happens if we do this while we're here. What? These are human lives. These are human lives, but they were not treated as humans. Not at all. They were certainly treated as subhumans, and there was segregation in the United States, and there was segregation in the United States Army. Mm -hmm. So these are black men that have volunteered to protect their country. Mm 
mm-hmm. wanted to protect their country, yeah. but yet they were second-class citizens in the war. Huh? And before we continue on that point, I just want to add to to Maurice Canfield. Now, Alan, in life, there isn't a lot of opportunity that you get a chance for a do-over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But fortunately, I have a chance for a do-over, and I'm just going to do this over right now. Our last podcast in the in this series of of black superheroes, it was my stone icon, and we talked about the character um, Freeman the Fourth August. Augustus Freeman the fourth. Augustus Freeman the fourth. Augustus Freeman, you know Freeman the fourth, and that he was a lawyer. He just kept on. He just kept on coming back as his own son because the terminus being had a long life, and he was found in the slavery days of the South. Nine, excuse me, eighteen thirty nine, and then we had talked about. We really didn't even talk about. We had mentioned Reconstruction. Yeah, I've and I glossed over reconstruction <laughs> and the streamers let me hear about it nesta we didn't know about reconstruction why didn't you go into reconstruction so alan i have an opportunity for Please. a do-over yeah let loose i am going to theorize that maurice's canfield the reason why he was of privilege his father was a doctor and stuff like that and again we're talking the story takes place in 1940 well reconstruction was a period in the was a 12 year period in our history from 1865 to 1877, where it marked significant history, uh, uh, history changing in um, civil rights. Reconstruction ended the remnants of the Confederate succession and abolished slavery, making newly freed slave citizens with civil rights, ostensibly guaranteeing them um, by the constitutional amendments. So for so for 12 years, it was actually good to be black in America because America recognized the evils of slavery and it was like made things equal opportunity yeah. for blacks as well. It was a 12 year period where blacks were given land, opportunities for higher education, mm-hmm. good paying jobs at the time. Yeah. So it was really Really, America living up to the promises of all men are created equal. So I'm going to theorize that during that period of time, Maurice's Canfield's maybe grandfather or father took advantage of that period of time and was able to get the education, go to good schools and become a doctor. Yep. So that's my theorize. It stands to reason. Right. I mean, it's an excellent point. And it also, it's a great way of, explaining Maurice himself grew up with these privileges. So, and he's, he's not a bad person because of it when we're introduced to him, but there's a distance between him and Isaiah. You know, Isaiah grows up on the streets of New York. Um, for him, a, a day out is, you know, going to the world's fair. Um, and may, hey, I think we have enough money to have lunch today. You know, stuff like that. I mean, he was a struggling young man, you know, newly married. Whereas, you know, Canfield, you know, it's just you, know, you wake up and you have things. Yes. Um, and it would make sense. You know, he would have to be of the generation removed. You know, the, the father may have struggled. As you say, maybe it was a grandfather. Um, but the fact that Maurice was able to become a doctor, or rather his father was able to become a doctor, you almost want to say, yeah, there's got to be another generation probably removed it had to struggle. It had to go all through this. And the father may have grown up seeing that 
and said, my son is not going to struggle. Right. I'm going to do what I can for my son. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here maybe, but in the story, when the uh, experimented on individuals are listed as dead, killed in action, um, Maurice's father can't deal with that grief um, to a degree where he, he both murders his wife and kills himself, uh, which says to you he, he put a lot into his son. His, right. his identity was tied up in the continued life and success of his son. So that says to me he wasn't privileged himself all the time. It's, you know, he, he did all these things so that his son wouldn't have to. You know, I'm going to make a world, however small and insulated it might be, mm -hmm. so that my son doesn't go through what I went through at some point. It's it's a really, it's such a dark moment, a very truly sad moment in the story. Um, and later when Maurice finds out about it, you know, this Kyle Baker did an exceptional you know, job of portraying this, this trauma on Maurice's face. Uh, rough moment in the book. He did. He did. As you mentioned earlier, Alan, it was experimented on 300 African-American males. But we didn't actually really talk about what the experiment was. The experiment was trying to recreate the super soldier serum. Create. Create. Create for the first time. Um, this predates what Dr. Reinstein, great name, um, <laughs> would eventually perfect with Steve Rogers. The, the experiment we know from the comics and, of course, the film of a few years ago, these are the men that were like, well, we don't know if this is going to work, so we're not going to risk white people. Right. We're going to... White men. We can, we can risk right. black men, mm -hmm. you know? And at that point, the, the scientist was still trying to work out what would work and what wouldn't. Um, there's a horrifying scene in the book where they need blood to run experiments to make the serum from. And uh, the general or major, I forget his rank now, in charge of the project is calling Washington and asking them to send more colored blood. And while he's on there, you know, I need this. This is important for what we're doing. The professor says to him, you know, blood's blood. We can do it with anything. Just get blood. No, I don't believe that for an instant. And one of the uh, assistants, if you will, in the military, no, no, black blood is different. I, we, I, you know, I get that stuff. We don't want to waste good blood. Right. They're going, men of science having this conversation. Yes. And you just, wow, that's it's really how some people felt once time and probably still do today. Hopefully they're hiding under rocks somewhere and I, I won't run into them. <laughs> but by God, you know, you read these things and it's, it's, it's you know, the, it's not the, the gunfights and the, the battles and the Nazis lobbing bombs. It's when you read about men in authority having these ideas. And I'm truly horrified when I read that book. That's when I just, oh, I shudder. Right. <laughs> it's terrible. Right. It's I'm using that word too much. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly is terrible. Yet that experiment for the... Uh, super soldiers serum and again it was 300 african-american yeah. males and what they did they went to the platoon 
I think they went to two platoons that round yeah. up to round up African American men. Yeah. So they got a total of three hundred, and what they did, Alan, they slaughtered the rest of them. Yeah, whichever it wasn't when they were they got to the point they needed to be, and the experiment was done. They were so paranoid, which just makes perfect sense. They would be paranoid personalities. They have everybody executed that they don't need anymore because again, oh, who's going to miss them? Right. And yeah. then and then they told all the families, all the families, yeah. that they all died in battle. They all died, you know. They all died honorably, in battle and yeah. all that. Yeah. The, there was one person that just wasn't going to accept <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was that yeah. just was not going to accept that. Wanted proof. Wanted to see the body. It just didn't smell right. Yeah. And that was Mrs. Yeah. Isaiah yeah. Bradley. Faith, Faith is no idiot. <laughs> yes. Faith was was her maiden name Shabazz. Faith. That sounds correct. Faith yeah. Shabazz. Yeah. Yep. Faith wasn't having it. Yeah. Faith, Faith wanted proof. Yeah. Yeah. She <laughs> insisted on seeing it. And, there, there is that wonderful line where she, you know, goes back to the the Pentagon and says, "What care to explain to me exactly what kind of bomb turned my husband into a white man?" Because she had seen the corpse, and, and when you see the look of horror, you're thinking, "Oh, it must be horrible, whatever is in this closed casket." But no, it's because suddenly she's hit with this the beginnings of a conspiracy. She's she's not a fool. She's the She's the smartest character in the book. Right, uh, I adore her for that. Um, she, you know, she goes back to the military and says, "This isn't my husband." And what are you trying to pull? And then they send another uh, officer, a black officer, to speak with her. And her immediate reaction upon having this guy come up to her is going, "Oh, you, what are you going to explain it to me in color?" Mm-hmm. You know, and she's like, "I'm not a fool." And he, he, and to his credit, that character could quite possibly be legitimate. He explains to her that when a group of men are blown up in a battle, the military does what it can to recover what's left. And sometimes they just have to divvy it evenly so that survivors have closure. They're given something they can bury or cremate or what have you. And she, I don't want to use the word, accepts that, but she understands that at an intellectual level she's just not buying it i think her attitude was that's plausible plausible perfect that's plausible but i'm not accepting it yeah there's there's more going on here faith Uh, never lost faith not at all not at all she's a wonderful character and the book could almost be said to be about her Uh, you know as of i think page two we see her walking with her husband and She's singing him. Mm-hmm. She's saying little comments, little, little asides that oh, he sighs and rolls his eyes. And, oh, well, this woman's you know going to be trouble for the rest of my life. Mm. And he's looking forward to that being a long <laughs> life, you know, because she's a wonderful character. And then when we, we get to the middle of the series and we're kind of time jumping, we're getting Captain America in the modern day who has somehow gotten wind of these experiments and Isaiah, and wants to know what happened and what's going on, he goes to the military, and, and they snow him. They just, you right. know, oh, yeah, and he knows it. So what does he do? He goes and finds Faith, and, you know, may I talk to you? And she's refreshingly honest. She doesn't pull a punch when she talks to him. Um, great, great scenes. And then we, we go back and forth. We have flashbacks to Isaiah, and, the, you know, Maurice and, and Evans before, you know, they are sort of removed from the story. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we see the adventures that I, Isaiah gets into, but they're all clarified uh, by faith. She, she catches the reader up to date. This is what happened at that point. This is where we're going. And says a few things to Steve Rogers that he's got to think about. You know, she, for instance, she mentions that in the experiments, uh, the early days of them, they caused her husband to be sterile. Yikes. Um, you know, they had had their daughter before he joined the military and they weren't going to have any more children. And she says, you know, the early days of that experiment caused sterility and you just get a look on Captain America's face for a second like, I didn't know that. Right. And uh, do I have to think about that? Lots of stuff. And it's her. She is, as the reader, you know, she's our source of information. She leads us through the rest of the story. Um, she's she's a delight. I, I wish we could see more of her in mm -hmm. comics, but at the same time, I'm glad they've sort of put her away because I wouldn't want to see her cheapened, you know, too many sequels, you know? Right, right, right. You know, this isn't the book about faith. This is the book that faith makes me love, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, maybe someday, but I kind of hope not. <laughs> Isaiah Bradley would eventually become the lone survivor of that experiment, along with Canfield and Evans. That was the three. But then there was an argument or a fight between the three of them because Bradley was reading a comic book yeah. about the adventures of Captain America. Yeah. And he started to think he was like, what's going on here? And and Sarge wasn't having it because Sarge was that military man. Yeah. And. Maurice Canfield, who basically lost it when he found out about his parents. Yeah. So a fight ensued. Two of them did not survive. Isaiah survived, and he was the lone one. So he went on a lone suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah, into Berlin. Was it directly into Berlin? It was, it I was think it was directly. Enemy lines, let's right. say. Um, he, he was paratrooped in there, you know, dropped. And the Captain America movie did a wonderful showing him leaping out of a plane, you know? We saw Isaiah do it first. Mm -hmm. There's so many images that that are have been popularized in the film that we saw Isaiah do first in this book 10 years, five years before the movie was released. Um, and I think it's wonderful that I, you know, I sit there and I watch the film and I go, oh yeah, I remember when Isaiah jumped out of the plane. Oh, there's the original shield. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even have Captain America's round shield. He's got the shield shaped shield. He got the shield shape you know? and there, and the shield along with a tattoo on one of his arms had the double, double V. Yeah. V for victory over the axis. Yeah. And also V for victory at home for racial injustice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice touch. Um, and it shows. Well, I'm about to attribute this to Morales, but who knows? Maybe it wasn't in his script. Um, quite possibly Kyle Baker may have said, I'm going to do this, drew it in there. And Morales may have said, well, what's that? Oh, well, I read about this thing. Oh, well, I'm glad you did. You know, yeah. Who knows which way that went? It's a wonderful touch. It's the nice thing about the book. We get Isaiah in Captain America's costume. You know, he steals it. He steals the costume you know? to go on this mission. Yeah. To go on this to go on this suicide mission. Yeah. Not coming okay. back. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what's so great about it is he understands the importance of the costume. You know, he's he's the living flag. He's gonna go there and he's gonna be uh remembered, you know, and he knows that the effect that will have on troops rallying, on kids at home, and you know, and and black children, 
Mm-hmm. Did you see what the black Captain America did? One of the things Marvel, uh, I think, very smartly did, um, the idea that there are comic books in the Marvel Universe. Right. And there's a, there was and still is a Captain America book because, you know, that's what he's about. He's in a red, white, and blue outfit. He's propaganda. So what do you get him out there? It, Captain America was under production as a comic book before we were actually at war. Pearl Harbor hadn't happened yet. The people at Marvel Comics knew this is inevitable. And a lot of them were um, Jewish. Mm-hmm. So they had family still in Europe. Um, very similar to the Black Vine that is mentioned in Truth, where black soldiers and black citizens knew things that other people didn't because they had people everywhere. Mm-hmm. There was somebody, you know, I got a guy who works in this building. I got a guy that is married to this person. And she told him and he told him a lot of um, American Jews during the 30s and 40s knew what was happening in Europe because they had family over there. So when things got really bad, they were putting it into movies, comic books, radio shows. It was out there before, well, while we were as a people, as a government saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to go to war. This will be fine. Don't worry. We'll work it out. A lot of the Jewish creators were going, yes, this, this guy's crazy. Have you listened to him? You know, <laughs> we're not going to get over this. So I think it's the very first issue of Captain America. He's punching Hitler. You know, he's out and out punching a, a, a you know, a, a national leader. Right. Because we knew this, we, we were we we're going to be angry at this guy. And that was day. on the cover, right? On Correct. the cover. On, on the cover, yeah, yes. on the cover. And, you know, after that, I, I want to say, I, I think the first issue of Captain America came out and I'm really reaching into my creaky old memory here, but I think within weeks of Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. I think it, it dropped on the stand and people looked at it and said, well, it's not like we're at war. And then suddenly we were. And I was part of the success of Captain America was people said, as soon as the people were afraid, you know, they heard that radio uh, news broadcast of what had happened at Pearl Harbor much like, you know, you and I probably went through with uh, 9-11. Exactly. You know, it's it's the same sort of emotional impact. You don't know what's going on. You're hearing conflicting stories or you're not getting the whole thing. But something horrible has just happened. I mean, America is under attack. It's, right. This stuff, this stuff does not happen in America. Right, right. Foreign, we, you know, foreign powers do not, no. do not attack America. And, and you know, we're, a, we're not part of Europe. We are on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific, depending on what side you come. We are uh, uh, isolated is not the right word, but we got a moat around the castle that divides the planet. Yes. We don't really have to worry about stuff like that. Yeah, my mother in a conversation with her recently talked about being a child growing up in Quincy near the shipyards during World War II. And every time you heard a plane... She was afraid it was somebody come to bomb the shipyards mm. you know, under the bed, that kind of thing. You and I, you know, we never experienced anything like that until 9-11. And I think a lot of people that were terrified by Pearl Harbor went to the newsstand, looked at the papers, and then next to the newspapers, there's this kid's book showing a guy beating the shit out of Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it was like, wow, what is that? And that character took off, you know. 
you think about all the other characters of the time, you know, the Patriot and the Shield and all those. They come, they go, they come, they go. As somebody remembers, they own them. And well, we better put a book out if we want to keep the copyright. Captain America just kept going. Right. Because it was it was the first. It was it was perfect. And I find what's interesting about Isaiah Bradley, he's he's registering at those same levels, but they're not going to talk about him. It's, you know, oh, you know, you know you're not going to get the costume. We don't need you anymore. We figured out how to do you. And now we're going to do it to, you know, the guy that looks like the Aryan ideal over here, mm-hmm. except the only way is not 98 pounds, whatever it was. Him, we're going to give the shield and the flag outfit and the whole bit. You go back to your room. Right. And no, he, he didn't join the military to be a guinea pig. He, you know, joined up, fight for his country, you know, his country. And now his wife and his daughter, you know, I may not be coming back from this, but they're going to be safe. And over he goes. And, you know, what was it, 2004, if I'm remembering correctly, when the book came out. So it's almost like um, when Captain America finds out about it, the world finds out about it. And it's such a loss. Right. You know, wow. Can you imagine what it would have been like to find out that a black man had single-handedly tried to go over there and punch Hitler, <laughs> you know, yeah. in 1941, <laughs> you yeah. know? What a great story that was kept from the world. Exactly. Um Another, I'm going to use the word terrible again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That suicide mission, Alan, he was, um, his mission was to go in because the Nazis was trying to create their own. Yes. Super soldier serum to give to their, to their soldiers. So he went there and just basically just tore down the place and there were hostages there and all this stuff. I mean, basically a, a one man gang just, just just ripped through it. I mean, yeah. he was just, I mean, he, you know, you want to talk about somebody who was badass? Yeah. He was badass. The only thing that took them down was when they had like an acid, I think it was like an acid shower, acid yeah. poisons. Yeah, he um, he wasn't prepared for um, chemical. Right. You know, something that honestly was so bad during World War One that countries forswore ever doing something like that. It wasn't until we had the Nazis during World War II that they, you know, nations started using things like, you know, cyclone gas and horrible things. He was prepared for a traditional fight. That's how he thought. That's how he was trained. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's it's interesting to point out that uh, Sarge, uh, who became a part of the experiment, was initially there to prepare them for any eventuality and said, you, you got to think about it. Stuff's going to happen. You're just, you've got to think about it ahead. And they, there was a time he had them climbing through cow manure to get to, yeah. you know, wherever, the other side of a field for their training. And they were like, why would you do that to us? And he's like, because you've got to be prepared for anything. You feel awful now, don't you? Yeah. Imagine if you had to do that and then fight. And that was, you know, Isaiah, you know, was, uh, well, you know, maybe. And then he goes over, sees, and, he, you know, he goes on his suicide mission. He has to which is never said in the book, but longtime fans know would have been the creation of the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Um, the Red Skull was originally more of a propaganda character, but over time, retcons like truth that were done, you know, uh, elements added to the story 
was that the Red Skull was the first attempt by Nazis to create a Captain America before there was a Captain America. And Isaiah had to stop that. And he goes over there and he's a top soldier, a terrific soldier, but he's just a little underprepared, not ready for that weird acid shower. Mm -hmm. They get him and it, it debilitates him. It doesn't just, you know, he's not beaten up by another man. He's choking to death. He's he's feeling sick. He's nauseous. He's physically harmed by it. And it allows a greater physical force of soldiers to overpower him. Right. Um, he, he goes, doesn't go down without a fight. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action flick scene, too. And I, I got to give Morales his credit there. That's right out of a script of an excellent action flick. And Baker did a fantastic job of choreographing the fights. This is a guy whose background in comics, he, he grew up loving old cartoons. You know, he wanted to do comic strips and cartoons, and he did those. He did funny books, but here he is illustrating a wonderful battle scene. I mean, when you, 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 your chest swells and you square your shoulders when you watch Isaiah fighting Nazis because yeah. this, is, this is right out of, you know, Indiana Jones. This is terrific. I mean, he's... He's a true hero. He's, he's, you know, the funny thing is, for years everybody would say the blue-eyed, you know, lantern-jawed hero that would play Tarzan or something. And Elijah is Isaiah, rather. He's he's a black man. He is not what Hollywood right. used to push. But damn, if he wasn't a better hero than all of them put together, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an amazing, great issue. And, and the fact that it ends with him being taken down, beaten, um, and and beaten. I should use that word, too. They don't say, oh, you know, well fought, you know, Captain America, and then, you know, chain him and, you know, give him a good meal. They beat him up. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not tortured. He's abused. He's horribly abused. You know, the way angry men in war treat the guy that just kicked the hell out of them. Um it's it's and you end the issue on that note where they're they've got him and you're like oh my god I, I gotta come back next issue right um, it's one of the nice things about serialized comics that you don't really get so much anymore because we read them so much as graphic novels collections um, catching you at the end of an issue so you've got to come back oh I can't wait a month are you kidding me mm. you know and but we do because <laughs> we got to know and that's when the book's put out on time yeah no, don't even <laughs> don't get me going on that that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> next issue he's captured and he's brought in front of El Fuhrer himself yeah. Hitler and Hitler offers him an opportunity El Fuhrer can you mix El two languages like yeah, that yeah 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 El Fuhrer <laughs> Hitler offers him off offers him an opportunity to betray his country yeah. and fight on the side of the Axis. Yeah. And Isaiah wasn't having any problem. You know, he he wasn't having yeah, any that's having any of issue. that. And if you remember, do you remember what he said? No. He said his wife would kill him oh, if he right. again. <laughs> we bring her back to faith. Back to faith. <laughs> I mean, she is the middle of this story, you know? Um and it's funny, you know. I remember when I when I read the scene when Hitler says to him, "We can use you, you know. You're you, you're there. We'll take care of you." 
think back to the look on Hitler's face when Jesse Owens accepted that gold medal right. at the Olympics. Right. Hitler didn't mean it. Hitler didn't mean it whatsoever. <laughs> he did not mean it whatsoever. And I'm sure that Isaiah remembers that because Hitler was trying to play on what was going on in the United States, yes. saying that you guys are seen as a second class citizen yeah. and all that. You know, you're probably not being treated right in the army. So what, you know, let Germany, you know, embrace, yeah. you know, embrace Germany, yeah. fight on our side and stuff. And Isaiah is no dummy because yeah. the whole world knows Hitler's plan about the Aryan race and all this stuff the blonde yeah. hair and blue eyes mm-hmm. so he wasn't buying that yeah. and hitler wasn't even sincere with that anyway because what they were going to do is just dissect them and yeah. try to reverse engineer yep yeah that formula so yeah. they can he can finally create his his master race of formulas of yeah. uh of soldiers rather yeah. yeah no that's it exactly um one of the things horrible at the time was the united states had in the 30s, 20s, I believe, um, investigated the idea of eugenics, the idea that we could breed a better race of people. And part of that involved hospitals making checklists of, well, no, this this kid has a learning disability, and oh, this kid was born this way, and this kid was born that way. And as we all know, you know, the whites are the better race, so let's, you know, if we got to get rid of the of course, when the general public became aware of it, it was, no, we're not going to embrace that. We're not going to do that. But Nazi Germany looked at those old records, if you will, and said, what a great idea. So Isaiah would have grown up in a time when people were talking about perfecting the species. He would have, you know, if he was fighting in the 40s, he was born in the 20s. He would have lived through all that stuff. And he's not a dope you know, right. his, his faith might be the brains, yeah. but he's not a dope. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and it's, you know, to his credit that there's there's no moment of, you know, will I do this? Won't I do this? The, the, you know, his his wonderful statement. Yeah, no, faith will kill me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, dude. <laughs> just, just, yeah. It's, it's just not going to happen. So Isaiah was eventually rescued by freedom fighters and stuff and returned yeah. to America. And what happens when he returns to America? We're going to find out (laughs) on the other side of this break, other side of this PSA. So Nesta Dudley, Alan Vickers talking about Isaiah Bradley, a.k.a. the black Captain America. We will be right back after the break. Pardon me, Batman, but we're rolling. One second. 999. 1000. Sorry, had to get my swole on. Camera ready, you know. Okay, so I hear you need my help. Something about a dude named COVID? Actually, we're here to discuss the novel coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. Lame nickname, but... Show me where he is, and I will bat-ter him. Bat pun intended. I'm afraid you can't beat this up. Wrong. It's invisible. You're invisible. Look, it's not a person. It's a virus. Viruses are tiny particles that infect living hosts to reproduce. Gross. There are millions of different viruses with all kinds of shapes and sizes. The name coronavirus refers to its shape, which, when magnified, looks kind of like a crown. Uh, Not really. COVID-19 can cause flu-like symptoms, 
and possibly lead to some very serious conditions. Hey, not to be a buzzkill, but this is all kind of scary. Not for me, of course, but for the kids. It's perfectly normal to feel scared or anxious, so if you're feeling this way, speak to a trusted adult, like a mother or father. Yeah, I'm an orphan, so... Any trusted adult will do. Most healthy people, especially children, show very mild symptoms, but it can be much more serious for those with other health issues. So stopping the spread is especially important for them. And remember, while we can't beat it up, if we work together... I work alone. If we work together, we can beat this. I got this. Look, you guys can be superheroes by simply listening to health experts and helping stop the spread of the virus, which is far less difficult than my job fighting crime, but still super important. Remember the things that we can all do to help get us through this time safely. Wash your hands, maintain good social distancing, and watch Lego Batman on repeat. How's that? Oh, exactly what I should have expected. I win again. Nestor Dudley, Alan Vickers. Back after that message, after that PSA from Lego Batman. Now, Alan, I know that is a different universe, and you know me, you know I prefer the DC universe. Yeah, you are a Batman man. <laughs> Lego Batman. <laughs> Lego Batman's fun. Lego Batman is there's there's no wrong Batman. You know, um, I grew up with Adam West. That was and so my, did I. You know, my first Batman. Yeah. Is it the Batman? Well, hell no. You know, um, I love the Dark Knight stuff of the late '60s, early '70s. Um, the Frank Miller stuff of the '80s. Um, not the biggest fan of the crazy Batman that stays up all night of the '90s. <laughs> there's some good stuff in there and lego batman is just another beautiful facet um and uh will arnett's just a funny guy so <laughs> I, i'm glad that i'm so glad that that took off for him because uh, he, he does a great job he does a great job for everybody i i love anything where uh, you know a dad and a kid can sit there and watch you know bullwinkle of the simpsons or anything and dad can laugh and then the kid can go, why is dad laughing at that? I don't understand what he just said. Oh, you will when you're older. Mm-hmm. Um, and as those Batman Lego things, are, they're like that. They're wonderful. <laughs> so before the break, Alan, Isaiah Bradley was rescued by Freedom Fighters. Yes, he was. Returned back to the United States of America. And how was he greeted? Let the streamers know. Oh, he was told he was going to prison for life. Because and why he, is that? He stole Captain America's costume. So let that sink in, streamers. Suicide mission. World War II, WW2, as Fred G. Sanford would say, the big one. <laughs> Captured a prisoner of war, brought back home. Mistreated. Mistreated. Before he's brought back home. And brought back home through every, you know, back alley, every, you know, hidden in a tramp steamer kind of thing. It wasn't like, you know, he was brought back um, in a parade. You know, it was quick climbing this box. We're going to put a bag on you. We're going to hide you and get you back. His rescue was just as rough as his incarceration. Um, and then to be, yeah, greeted with, you stole, you stole some clothing. Come on, this is, you know, this is right out of crime and punishment. Right. This is just wrong. But it's it's a further example of the, 
you're our dirty little secret, and this is the legalese we're going to use to keep you hidden. Uh, and he's sent off to Leavenworth. They actually make a point of saying he's in Leavenworth for... Life. Life. You have received life, and you, he was there for... You know, 17, of, 17 years. 17. I was going to say, that was a couple of decades. Yeah. 17 years. And, and who got him out? Faith. <laughs> Faith kept on writing President Eisenhower monthly. Yeah. Monthly yeah, kept a on... letter every month. Right. And... Isaiah was released on President Kennedy's inauguration. Day. Yeah, it was seventeen years. Eisenhower's the the la, the president's uh, pardons. Yes, you know they made a point of saying it was that inauguration day that he was let loose. Um, good for Ike. I mean, you know, wow that that had to be done. But uh, faith, as I believe, there's a line in the comic: she never lost faith. Never lost faith. Um, she, you know, she kept doing it. And I love when she's telling Captain America about it and her grandkids are playing in the other room, you know, and her daughter is, you know, checking on dad. Um, it, it's, it's such a, a warm, loving household. And everybody's interacting and talking and sharing and having fun. And there's this guy dressed like a flag sitting there having tea, right, <laughs> coffee, right. whatever it was. Uh, it's just a wonderful image. Um, and, and as Faith explains, we finally got, you know, Isaiah back. But the experiments took their toll. Now, there's something here. This is this will be the nerd in me. The whole reason you have me here today. <laughs> um, in the original Captain America appearances, they show him being injected with the formula. But they also show a lot of machinery. And as we would get later in the comic books, usually early 70s stories, uh, and what they followed up with and kept as part of the film, the super soldier serum is a two-part thing. There's the serum, and then there's being exposed to a, I don't know, a radiation or something called a Vita Ray. And with people having tried to duplicate the professor's work, they could sometimes, you know, recreate the serum, but nobody knew how the Vita rays worked. And without the Vita rays, the serum never quite works right, which is why we had some other bad Captain Americas show up in, in the 50s and the 60s. It was Marvel's way of explaining why, even though the comic continued into the 50s, Steve Rogers was somehow frozen in ice in 45. Right. And didn't come back until I think it was 65, maybe. Avengers number four um, with Isaiah you had the double issues that one the serum was even more experimental two he suffered some truly physical abuse at the hands of the Nazis and three the unspoken thing is that at no point do you ever see the Vita Ray introduced into his story that's clearly something that the professor landed on between Isaiah and Steve Rogers. So Captain America, I love that this is, again, unspoken when he's hearing the backstory of why Isaiah is in bad shape. Um, he's got to wonder if this is a potential future for him. Mm -hmm. And I uh, have read uh, that apparently Mor uh, Robert Morales, when writing the story, was inspired, if it's the right word, by what had happened with Muhammad Ali um, as he got older. 
you know, he had he suffered a lot of brain damage in the ring. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, I'm so pretty and his record is so amazing. The man took some hits and he walked them off. You know, part of his legend was he never let you see him wince or cry, you know, An amazing athlete. Same with Isaiah. Here's this guy that did all these things, but he took some hits. He took some damage that we'll never know because it's not important to the story. It's more important to the mood of the story. We, we know this happened. But Captain America has to wonder, is it because of what happened to him? I'm at the, or, or am I going to, one day I'm going to slow down um, and find that tremor in my hand. Uh, Faith even says that Isaiah can't even really talk anymore. Right. Um, such a sad moment. But man, he can smile. <laughs> um, when she brings Captain America in to see him, and Captain America presents him. He's recovered what's left of that original costume and says, this is yours. You know, thank you, you know, for your service. You know, Captain America has just said, soldier, you did a damn good job and we all owe you. And you get that wonderful smile on Isaiah's face. Um, because at the end of the day, Alan, that's what all the soldiers just wanted. They just wanted a thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah, you for your service. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's wind them up and tell them to do something and then when you're done with them go oh are you still here well i can't believe that you know that kind of behavior and you know not only you know isaiah to faith's credit he got her home and his wife said i love you and here's your daughter and years later i got to say these are your grandchildren you survived not only did you do good but you made it you're here and there's that Wonderful, but you find out she's a teacher now. And she talks, and she shows up. In fact, when Captain America first meets her, um, she's Muslim, and she's wearing a burqa. And I think that's so, so fascinating, too, is that we talked earlier about Maurice and Sarge and uh, uh, Isaiah being from you know, different backgrounds, different walks of life and the whole bit. And here we are seeing the Muslim religion being portrayed, but not belabored. Mm -hmm. we, we, you know, yeah, you, I, you and I pass uh, Muslims every day in the street. They don't stop to, exp I, by the way, I'm a Muslim. Right. Oh, well, tell me more, you know, or <laughs> I'm, I'm gay. Oh, tell me more about that. No, they're just people. We yeah, pass exactly. them, we get on with our lives, they get on with theirs. And it's wonderful. She just happens to be in a burqa when Captain America meets her. She doesn't go off about it. She doesn't talk about it. There's no lecture to you and I, you know, mm -hmm. the reader. Oh, look, a different religion, you know, something that is never, well, now in comics, they're very much, you know, more diversified than ever. Back then, again, this book did so much, it portrayed something that a lot of people just didn't see. In comics, you know, it was, you couldn't have Jewish people. You know, I, to this day, I insist that Peter Parker is meant to be Jewish, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a, you know, the background is just like, mm, just shy of saying it. Right. And, and just a few years ago, The Thing and the Fantastic Four finally portrayed. Right. You know, Jack Kirby was Jewish. Stan Lee was Jewish. Come on. They, they wrote what they knew. Mm -hmm. They drew what they knew. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's wonderful to see that, you know, Faith just shows up in that burqa without any getting up on a soapbox and having to lecture about you know, another religion. Captain America just talks to her about her husband. That's what they're there for. And I love she makes a comment about, she's talking to him, she's wearing the burqa, and she's, I'm sorry, I usually take this off as soon as I get in the house. And she takes it off, and we still see 
at 70 or whatever she's she's still beautiful yeah you know she's got that that cloud of silver hair around this the face that is still so just just lovely uh it's a it's a wonderful moment and then she mentions that one of the reasons she wears the burqa is it desexualizes her identity when she's talking to her students the fact that she's a woman doesn't enter into what she's talking to them about Mm -hmm. so when she teaches them it's the subject matter right. and how good she is at it, being a communicator, not a woman. Uh, great moment. Again, you know, Morales and uh, Baker doing something so subtle. Um, you, you know, I didn't read these words in the story that, you know, you know, she communicates. She's a great teacher. But after a panel, I know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful bit. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't use the word terrible. Awesome. I used the word <laughs> wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, see how this book treats you? You know, you, you go into the darkest places, and by the time you're getting to the end, uh, it's lightning. It's, it's, you know, enlightening even. Um, and I love that uh, that final bit when Captain America is, you know, eye to eye, face to face with the man that did it before him. And they're standing in front of that wall of everybody that Isaiah's ever met. And you, you realize this this guy, wow, he's he's this is the life. He knows he's he, firsthand, you know, he's met o, President Obama. Um Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, you know. Richard Pryor. Yeah. Maya Angelou. Spike Lee. Yeah. It was yes, it's just flavor flavor. Yeah. It was just all those wonderful pictures. All, including wonderful the picture. creators of the book. Yes. There's a one little photograph where you go, hey, that's Kyle Baker and Robert Morales. That's yeah. okay. Yes. <laughs> and Stan Lee. And Stan, Stan Lee, Lee shows yeah. up no well, matter where at in the yeah. Marvel Universe. Yeah. Stan Lee, God he's rest his, his soul. Yep. <laughs> he, he's he certainly has his cameos. You got yeah. that right. Yeah, good stuff. And and it's you know, it's for such, as we said at the very beginning, shameful period in American history, you know, about the whole the syphilis study. The fact that recently, you know, the Watchmen television show based on a comic had to explain to half of America about the, the Tulsa riots, the massacre. Um, you know, the amount of people that came up to me in the store. And well, that's not real, is it? Of course it's real. You know, there are so many things that have been glossed over, sugar-coated, whatever. And this book brings all that kind right. of darkness, that shame to yeah. the to the, the surface. But it doesn't leave you there. It doesn't leave you hanging, feeling bad. You get to the end and you go, "Wow. Look look what I look what Isaiah Bradley accomplished." Right. And you know, it, it's it's such an uplifted ending. And the thing is with all the standing in front of the wall, all the famous people that he famous people that he met. You had mentioned in the first half of this podcast about the the Black Vine, mm-hmm. about yep. Black Vine yep. and all that. So Isaiah was not known to the general public, but no. he was known the Black Vine. Yes. It was he he was an he was an urban myth. He was yeah. a legend. Yeah. But there was a Black Captain America. Yeah, word got out there and people came looking for him. It was it, it's wonderful to imagine that you know, there, yeah, as you say, an urban myth. Somebody says, "Did you ever hear about?" Oh, that's not true. I met the guy. You got to introduce us, and it his, his legend grew. Um, I I like the idea that that's why Steve Rogers didn't hear about him for so long. It took a while. You know, who knows? Maybe the Falcon, you know, said to him one day, "You ever heard about a uh, right 
Yeah. Right. Oh, who's this? Well, yeah. Luke Cage, Power Man, certainly maybe, do. Maybe, maybe. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and you know the and nice segue there, if I might, Nestor. Um, the whole origin of Luke Cage, Power Man, back in the seventies, was an attempt for someone to recreate the Super Soldier Serum, or in this case, he's going to be working from that Vita Ray end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got another fantastic character. <laughs> Love Luke Cage, <laughs> um, and I'm sure we will do Luke Cage in a future. I'll make a point of it man. in a future podcast. I will, I will, I will dog you until we do that. <laughs> One of my favorite books as a kid, and to this day, really. Well, the next podcast will not be in the Marvel universe. It might be in the DC universe because the you know, well, you know me, my my universe is I prefer the DC. <laughs> I know Marvel. I know there are others out there. So, but yes, we're gonna we're gonna talk about as many of them as we possibly can. Yeah, we got some wonderful characters over at DC. The um, we're seeing a resurgence of the Milestone line. Um, uh, an announcement that we might see some icon and static films, which would be fantastic. I would love to see an icon film. Can you I would just love to see an icon film. They're talking about making Superman black, and I'm like, don't make Superman <laughs> black. You got icon. Yeah, you got icon. You exactly. got icon. Yeah, do icon. Uh, hardware, they're talking about that character being brought up, um, and currently uh, on the shelves we have um, uh, a run that DC Comics did, uh, what they're calling Future State, which is possible futures of the DC universe, including the son of longtime character Lucius Fox, an African American, his son Jace being what they refer to as the next Batman. It's mm-hmm. the title of the book. And apparently it did well enough um, that he's being introduced into regular continuity. Good. So, yeah. Good. So, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of stuff for us to talk about. Good, 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 good. <laughs> to wrap up Isaiah Bradley, I do want to say that his legend was was so much and, and so popular amongst the Black Vine that he was also invited to the wedding of the Black Panther yeah. and Storm. Yeah. Yeah, that's I forgot about that. That's a nice little touch. Yeah. The, the idea that he's and again, it's so much for the, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about Robert Morales and Kyle Baker. Um these two men, you know, it's a seven-issue series, which means it is it didn't run for a year. And it, it was intended to be seven. But we talk about it today and the character was so well received, so well thought out that it immediately became uh, an instant addition to the Marvel Universe. He's he's at the wedding of the Black Panther. He's mentioned here, there. His uh, grandson, Eli, that we talked about earlier, pre-show. And we're going to talk about Eli now. We're certainly, we're certainly we go. going to mention Eli. Here Eli. we go. <laughs> you know, Eli is the, um, the founder of the group called the Young Avengers. Um, they're all like legacy characters descended from or in some backstory way related to the actual Avengers. And Eli was filling the role of the the Captain America character in the group and calling himself Super Patriot and showing up um, and eventually revealing himself to be um, Bradley's grandson. Um, And he's a great character. And right now, I mean, it's rumor, but I'm going to throw it out there. Um, because of some recent events in the WandaVision television show, things that we know are going to be happening in the Captain Marvel upcoming movie. Uh, there's an upcoming Hawkeye television series. All these things that um, Marvel and Disney has planned, a lot of people think we're going to be seeing a Young Avengers project. 
in which case we could be seeing Eli. Um, and if we see Eli, and it's going to be, he's the grandson of the original black Captain America, people have to know that story. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. we could be seeing that, you know, that could be a live action movie, a television series. And I, God, that would be a wonderful television show. Um, certainly with its finite story, that's a fine two-hour film right there. Um, I'd rather see TV. <laughs> <laughs> that would be on longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we uh, we could be getting the Young Avengers and uh, every, these characters would be getting their due. And I think it's, it's a great thing. Um, and, and again, like I say, such a short-lived project that made such a big contribution to the Marvel comics books. Um, it's permanent. It's not going anywhere. Right. That's the nicest thing about it is, you know, you know, it's in 10 years, it's not going to become what happened to da, da, da. We'll have a great grandson or, you know, Eli will, who knows, marry whoever. And it'll just be this dynastic story. I can't wait to see it. I can't I wait to see that either. Well, Alan, the time has flown. We've gone over the hour, but that's okay. We were talking about the break. It was like not all podcasts can be under an hour, just as long <laughs> as that content is there yep. and it's solid. And I just enjoy doing this podcast because not only did we talk about the character, not only did we talk about the story, we got to give some historical facts yeah. what happened in this country yeah. in terms of the, the Tuskegee syphilis study. And I got to do that redo over. There you <laughs> that go. Do over. Yeah, yeah. You got your <laughs> of the, second shot. Nice. Of the, of the reconstruction era. Yeah. No, I, I, if I make a, a comment here, just um, I love the medium of the comic book. I think it is as strong a medium, and I'm going to keep using that word, uh, as film, as television, as the theater, as the novel. Um, it can do things, you know. It's a visual medium, and it's the written word, and it can be written for any age group, and it can be informative, and it can simply be uh, just electrifyingly, you know, action-oriented. Um, one thing, I, t two little stories really quick here. Well, it doesn't have to be quick. We've gone all the hours, so that's, you know, yeah, well, and you know I, me, I love a good story. So. Time. <laughs> I was saying that when I was a kid, I couldn't tell you where I heard the word laser for the first time. You know, it could have been anywhere. But the first time I ever found out what it meant was in a comic book. And it was because a writer chose not to write down to me, to his audience. He, you know, what is it? Light amplification through stimulated emission of radiation. And that made me look and see, what do all those words mean when you put them together? Mm -hmm. And... Reading a comic, you know, you would you would find out so many things. You find out about history, the sides that people don't want you to know, or you find out about science, or you find out about you know, anything. Really, it, it's a great medium for because it's written down, and you don't have to say what did he just say. You go back and you look it up again. Wonderful medium. Second thing I just want to mention: I used to work with a guy decades ago. And he was from Saudi Arabia, moved to this country with his mother and brother, very young age, five or six years of age. And his mother gave him comic books and he read those. And that's what allowed him to keep up in school when he was learning English, because he had a visual image to come. What are they talking about? Wow. And 
he, you know, he could go back. He could turn a page back, you know, and say, oh, it means this. And because it was fun, you know, it taught him how to read. And I'm going to just sound pompous for a second here. Um, there's a wonderful quote from uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes that reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. And it's very true. It is. And in this day and age where we've got social media and we we glue to our big TVs and we're streaming this and that, you know, they keep saying print is dead. It's not dead. It's it's out there. Find it. Mm -hmm. And comic books are so much fun. There's so much there. They're humorous. They are chilling. They are informative. And I think that truth, red, white, and black is a perfect example of all of that. You know, you're laughing one minute, you're shocked the next, you're excited the next. Faith, you fall in love with her. You know, <laughs> it, it's a it's a wonderful book. Unfortunately, I believe it's out of print right now. So if anybody listening gets an opportunity, you've read it already, you own it, you come across a copy somewhere, pick it up, pass it on to somebody else, and don't be afraid to write to Marvel Comics and say, why isn't this in print? shame them right into putting it back out there because uh, it's that good it really deserves to be out there and maybe i'm wrong but i don't think i am i don't i think it's a hard thing to find right now partly because i don't you know nobody's talking about it and they need to um we're at a we're at a perfect time right now in, in our nation's history mm-hmm. uh it, it, it's not just a nice entertaining piece it's a nice t- historical text piece uh it should be out there so Call, write, email, nudge the hell out of them. Make sure this thing's back in print. (laughs) Well, Alan, thank you very much. We're going to wrap this up once again. I appreciate you inviting me into your home to to have you to do this, to do this podcast. And I'm looking forward to our next podcast, which is going to be sooner than two years from now. (laughs) (laughs) I like the sound of that. Let's go a few months from now. Yeah, we go. Yep. A few months from now. Yeah. So, so once again, I want to thank Alan Vickers, who is the manager of New England Comics, which is in Malden, Massachusetts, on Pleasant Street. Malden is 5.5 miles north of the city of Boston. Beyond the Rim is available on Apple Podcasts. Beyond the Rim is available on Spotify. Beyond the Rim is available on Google Podcasts. Beyond the Rim is available on Stitcher. Beyond the Rim is available on Amazon Music. Beyond the Rim is available on Podbay. Beyond the Rim is available on TuneIn Radio. Beyond the Rim is available on iHeartRadio. Beyond the Rim is available on YouTube or wherever you stream your podcasts. Visit our website at btrmike.com. That's btrmic.com, where you can stream past episodes and discover additional podcast platforms where Beyond the Rim is available. Hashtag follow, hashtag stream, hashtag retweet, Twitter handle at Nesta Dudley. Until next time, streamers, buenas noches. Hooches, cooches. I came in peace. I leave with love. This is for the red, the black, and the green. Living cool, living calm, living clean. I'm out.